We at Around Grandfather Fire would like to express our solidarity for Black Lives Matter. We stand with you and every marginalized group that's seeking justice. Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire as your hosts Saren Odinson, Jim Toosnakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late night conversations by real life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Spirits of air, spirits of aether, of crackling electricity, of vibrating atoms, holy ones, grace the air between, the spaces between, the places between, holy ones that allow communication across the vast reaches of space and time, who connect between the ages. 10% of the static in the TV from the birth of the universe. The gentlest, lightest touch of electricity from a doorknob. The great booming lightning that strikes outside. The storms that rage in our minds on the plains. Between great, vast swaths of space between planets, between stars. Hail to you, all you holy ones, between, above, below, and beyond. Hail to you, holy ones, places, beings of liminality. You who connect tissue to flesh. You who bring breath into life. You who bring the warmth from the cold meeting in the middle, so rivers flow. Hail to you, holy spirits, holy spirits who bridge, who gather, who guide. Thank you, beautiful ones, dancing ones, ecstatic ones, for showing us the way to talk, to dance, to be between, beyond, and more. Hail to you, this is Welcome to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 74. I am your co-host, Jim Two Snakes, joined as always by my good friends and for also co-hosts, Saren Thodenson and Caitlin Stormbreaker. How are you both doing tonight? Caitlin, you're not breaking any storms tonight. They are raging. What are you doing over there? Uh, well, I figured out that the reason why I was given the name Stormbreaker was for emotional and mental storms and people and not actual physical storms. But because oh. I was unwilling to look at that <laughs> talent, nature showed me what my name was actually supposed to be. And then a whole long journey later, and actually earlier this week, I was taught, uh, 
I was given a teaching by storms, by a very rare and random pop-up storm that was not even on the forecast. The skies were nice and blue and clear before it happened. And then all of a sudden, like super black clouds just start rolling in from the east, which here in Michigan, we know that most of the storms roll in from west to east normally, hardly rarely from east to west. But this one rolled in from east to west and I was able to sit out on my back porch and sing to the the storm and call it in and bring it to me and observe it and watch the clouds roll literally roll through the sky if you've ever seen like a natural spring of water how the water kind of boils up that's what it looked like like the clouds were kind of boiling down and out and rolling forward like like waves crashing on a beach it was so amazing to just stand there and watch this huge (laughs) impressive force in true midwestern fashion oh this is really bad could be dangerous let's go outside and watch yeah i mean yeah that's what i do (laughs) um but it was awesome it it taught me uh how to read the clouds basically and do kind of a divination and pick out pictures in the clouds oh cool and stuff like that so that, that was yeah that was an awesome Awesome teaching I was given. So that is really cool. And for those of you who get the video, look, it's raining again. <laughs> <laughs> look at it go. Let me know if you see a tornado, by the way, because I will fucking run. <laughs> Probably to Sarent's house because I live in a trailer. That's fine. <laughs> we have space. How are you doing, Sarent? I'm doing pretty good. Um, wow, that that head of mead actually hit me pretty good. I'm feeling really good. <laughs> um, I've had a really great day. I went to the museum with the family, um, hey, the Henry Ford, nice. walked around. I met somebody I haven't seen in 17 years since I was in high school. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool seeing her. Uh, hi, Renee, if you're listening. Um, she and I did drama together in high school. It was really cool to see her. And it's just kind of wild because, uh, you know, you you see people in between that gap of time and it's like amazing how much they change. Right. Mm-hmm. And how much smaller I felt next to her when I was younger and now I'm basically the same height. It's like, okay, this is, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, overall I've been, I've been doing really good. A lot of the work that I've been up to lately has been Patreon work, um, readings and things like that. Also doing a little bit of organizing with different spirit workers um, various projects I'm starting to bring together. Awesome. Aside from that, just been working on my books steadily and yeah, uh, just making it day by day otherwise. Because <laughs> you and I never stop working on shit. What is work? That's that thing I never <laughs> stop. I mean, the thing is like, like when somebody asks me like, well, what are, you, what are you working on? I'm like, well, are we talking big W or little W? And right, right. right. So much of my my time right now is it's a bit of a juggle and it's not a, a necessarily a bad one. It's just consistent. And mm-hmm. I'm very lucky in that my family understands where my list of priorities is, what has to come first and where and why. And right. I wouldn't be able to do it without, I wouldn't be able to do the show. I wouldn't be able to do my spirit work. I wouldn't be able to do any of this without the full support of my family. So like I, I'm very humble and grateful that they're so willing to, to support the work I do. So it's awesome. Mm-hmm. What about um, you, Jim? Oh, you know, <laughs> I got so many projects. I can't even tell you <laughs> as usual. Um, 
just plugging away day by day. It's good to keep busy. Yeah, uh, I think so. Maybe. I'm kind of craving a vacation, but we'll see how that turns out this year. May not be till next year. So um, I did want to make mention, though, Sarah, through mentioning Patreon real quick, reminded me I want to do two things regarding our last show. Uh, first of all, I'd like to re- welcome Reverend Kirk as a Patreon supporter. He signed up with us to s- support us on oh, Patreon. I got your I, book, by the way, if you're listening. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> 100% recommend. Awesome. And I did want to throw out there a little side note. I haven't had a chance to follow up on this myself. We're going to probably have Kirk back on, I think, because one of the comments that he made did generate a little bit of pushback on social media. And that was the statement that there's basically no witches left in Ireland, to which case I had a bunch of Irish witches that were very upset. So I think probably when I have a few moments more of time, I'm going to reach out to Kirk and see if there's a clarification statement and maybe we can see about getting some Irish witches on the show as well. We've been working on that. So we're going to see who we can get scheduled. Fabulous. So, and with that, we, what, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest tonight. So, I became familiar with our guest on TikTok, who uh, he was making just incredible series on on uh, spirit interaction, chaos magic, a lot about the history of magic and sorcery. It was really amazing, and and really one of the most interesting YouTube channels and most informative that were out there. And then suddenly. He made a decision that not many people wake and walked away from TikTok. So I thought this was some great topics to explore both chaos magic, which is really popular with our audience, and also the dynamics of social media and a few other things in the occult community. So I'd like to welcome Gaia Sorcery. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I have to admit, I miss your presence on TikTok because you were a very... Uh, good resource for information, entertaining your live feeds where you did tarot readings were, were really great. Um, but I can totally understand your reason for walking away. It's completely a strange uh, community and the toxicity level. You've missed out on like a good dozen witch wars since then. Oh, uh, you know, sometimes I miss it. Sometimes <laughs> I miss it because it's like it's it's ridiculous like it's almost like it's almost not like hey, is this real <laughs> like is this real right now i mean the witch wars in particular was something that turned me off real quick but it also gave me a, a an interesting path to walk down to which we could probably get into if you want to but yeah. ultimately the reason i kind of stepped away from tiktok was uh kind of for my own health it, it's like that stuff crawls under your skin at one point Many people will say they're resilient mm-hmm. to these things. Everyone says, oh, I'm resilient to that. Or this isn't good. It, does, it can get anyone at any time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was making like, I was wanting to make an active decision that like, you know, I got to do what's kind of healthier for me. And I also felt like as a platform, yeah, the videos grab people's interests. But I realized that sometimes my younger audience members is like, I can't, they're looking up to me and I don't have the platform to give them the information that they probably truly need. Right. And this platform and being here is enabling them to get bad information too. Like, and it, I, I consider going back at times, but you know, I, I think I have to um, square some things away with myself first. Then maybe I might hit it again <laughs> in a different way, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like current part of the journey, 
TikTok isn't a part of. And like, it was healthy. It was nice to back away for a bit. Like you get that out of my head. <laughs> oh, I imagine. I mean, even just taking a vacation from it sometimes is, is so needed. I know a lot of creators that just occasionally, I got to step back. I got to go away for a week. And nothing's like trying to meditate too. And one of those earworms get in your ear. Oh yeah, God. you're just sitting there like I'm trying. I'm trying to connect with God here, and now I've got some crappy song <laughs> in my head. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that the equivalent of throwing your uh, your playlist on Spotify on shuffle to see what comes up and doing a divination off of what songs play? I guess you, you could, but like I don't know. I don't know if I trust the algorithm that much. It's <laughs> they can be very nefarious. It's very true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, machine a, learning algorithms scare the bejesus out of me, quite frankly, right. too. Yeah, right. Like, For sure. Because it's, uh, well, you know. And some of your magical work, I think you actually tried influencing the egregore of TikTok, didn't you? Wasn't that part of one of yeah, your experiments? A little bit, a little bit, but it... it I, I want to say it felt like it didn't like it. <laughs> it did not appreciate the attempt, <laughs> but that yeah. could have been my own. Like, ah, you know, it's hard to tell with these things, honestly, like if you're being honest with yourself, like it could have been that could have been this, you know, but, uh, you know, I had some various successes with playing with the algorithm through enchantment. Like the whole, the whole devil thing went way out of hand for me. It went way out of hand. Cause like the, like I was working on an operation like in the classic blue sense, go down the crossroads, talk to the devil. And I worked that for months, um, you know, refining it on every, I did it during a waning moon because it just seemed appropriate for the, you know, that was what my intuition said, do this on a waning moon. And so it, it was a process of like, you know, I think I started in May and then it was like May, June, July. And then I think got to August of last year. And it was like, kind of finally got something um, up and kind of in front of me that I could interact with, you know, um, that hallucinatory experience when you're right there, like in the flow of the spirit contact. And I was like, Hey, let's make a video go crazy. Right. And sure enough, um, Callie, who was a mutual on there, she sends me a video of some girl talking about how, how do I sell my soul to the devil for seven years of fame? I was like, well, this is the video to stitch. <laughs> and I stitched that video. And I think when I left it, it was like five, it was half a million views. It was half a million views. And then like it drove a lot of traffic to my Twitter. It drove a lot. of. It worked. It worked. I was able to influence an opportunity and seize that opportunity. And sure enough, it, it had to do with the devil because what else would it? And it had to do with fame too. Like it su right. suited all the things. And then like, that the that the kicker here after it was kind of said and done i was getting mail assigned to john chapman and if you're not you in the midwest if you're not familiar john chapman is better known as johnny appleseed what people don't know about johnny appleseed is that he was a swedenborgian which was a very mystic form of christianity and they did like angel magic and stuff and to tie this back around here in ohio we have a famous legend that johnny appleseed a church that he started made a deal with the devil to get their field sewed um, so they could keep the church going. And it, it was a legend in here and it kind of, and the ironic part was, is they had to sell the church after they kept the church open for five more years from the money they made, but they had to sell it and they had to sell it uh, to an individual that no one ever heard of named William Huntsman. Um, in Sweden, the devil is often referred to as the Huntsman. 
And to this day, if you go to Love uh, the uh, Richland wow. County, Ohio, there's a giant road that runs by this old Swedenborgian church called Huntsman Road, named after William Huntsman, who's not on any of the census records or any records of him. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is crazy. It, 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 it was an adventure. It was like it was a true like sorceress, witchy adventure. It was like th- that's one thing's like TikTok's close to my heart, because if it weren't for TikTok, that all wouldn't have happened. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and to, to this day, I still kind of sit down and think about it. like that was nuts. And like getting the mail assigned to Johnny Chapman or Johnny Appleseed. It said John Chapman. Like, there's no Chapmans who ever lived here. I just happened to get wow. John Chapman's that mail. Crazy. <laughs> and um, offerings to the devil involved cigarettes, right? And the mail that I was getting that was uh, addressed to John Chapman were cigarette ads and coupons. <laughs> I forgot that little detail. Like, it's it's too much. It's too much to be just coincidence and confirmation oh, bias. It's too much. Like, it's. <laughs> it's uh, wow. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Like, yeah? <laughs> <Question mark? laughs> yeah, pretty much. Isn't magic Question always mark. a little like that though? You're like, well yeah, yeah, yeah. that is true. You know, That's is it like, even really magic um, if it just works I, out? I, I think it worked, but um <laughs> I'm a little nervous at the same time. <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's um uh Dr. Hunter S. Thompson, you know, you buy the ticket, take the ride. You know, I bought the ticket, so I had to take the ride. <laughs> that's that's crazy i man i i don't even know what to say about that that's pretty good though i like that yeah so you know if you work it it works (laughs) right tell me a little bit more about your background though so i've I've never really quite gotten to know how you got started with chaos magic or anything else like that um well chaos magic was a result of not being able to do grimoires (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> I would read, I, w- I was in love with grimoires, in love with like things like the Grimori Verum or, you know, the Lamegaton, the Lesser Keys of Solomon, the Greater Keys of Solomon. But where the hell do you find a lion skin belt? <laughs> you know? I got one. <laughs> you know, I'm it's serious. It's, yeah, it's rare though. Like that had the, that was a hard find, probably, right? I couldn't find it. No, one. actually, it was gifted to me on my wedding day. Well, there you oh, go. I got super lucky. That, yeah, there you it. go. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should pick up the keys, you know? <laughs> I, we've met your husband. It's still kind of a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he still listens to the show, right? Yeah. Well, oh, good. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, chaos magic was a result of not being able to do grimoires. But if you're wondering, like, grimoires were the first thing that interested me about magic. I actually came to magic. Well, this is kind of a lie. It's one of those, but I don't know if the... I think everybody might be like this, but I had an interest when I was a teenager. Well, when I had an interest when I was a child. So this is where I got sort of made people at comfortable at church because I asked too many questions about angels. Uh. Yeah, you know, because I was just so curious about them and I would stare at the clouds for hours. I, would, I didn't know I was scrying, but I was scrying. And I would see like this sort of war in heaven thing going on in the clouds and I would tell my mom about it. And she didn't she wasn't like it's not something that you want to hear from your seven-year-old. It's like, I think the angels are fighting in the sky, you know, because <laughs> that's what I would see. That's what the clouds would, you know, that's my imagination and what I was experiencing. And um, I saw um, I saw the Ohio Grassman, which is a, a local folklore legend when I was a child, also at seven, um, went across the yard. The Ohio Grassman is essentially the Ohio version of uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And there's been sightings and there were sightings in the area. And you sometimes find grassman huts, which are these 
twig huts that are built that are kind of rather large. I'm pretty sure kids are doing that because when we were kids, we would do that. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's like when we talk about cryptids, I always think, yeah, but that's probably more spiritual. That's why we don't find physical evidence of them is because you're probably having that spiritual experience with Sasquatch, not a physical experience with Sasquatch. But I don't know that for sure. But I saw those things when I was a kid. But, you know, life changes. We move to the city, not out in the country anymore. Don't have those experiences anymore. Kind of have the material world in your face when you're in the city. You have more concerns and video games when you get older as a child. But as a teenager, I got interested in witchcraft and I checked out some witchcraft books from the library and probably a book that damaged me for life, which was King James's Demonology. They had a copy of that. And I read that. I read like I was. 14 and no 13 i was 13 and read all of king james's demonology the copy they had it had a upgraded language to the for better it wasn't the old school language but i had peer pressure from friends who caught me with the books and they're like that's dumb you should stop doing that um and so i fell out of it and like i was an atheist materialist hardcore hardline atheist for a decade or more probably up till about hey i turned 30 I was having problems with my lungs because I was a cigarette smoker and I had to quit smoking cigarettes. And that caused something to happen to me in that nicotine withdrawal where I kind of had this yay withdrawal. Yeah, yay withdrawal. But I had this <laughs> compulsion to get on YouTube. And the first video that popped up randomly on YouTube was a video about grimoires. And I was just hooked. I was just fascinated that it was even a thing. I thought they were something. I thought the word grimoire was a fantasy game made up thing. I didn't know it was a legitimate thing. I didn't know people legitimately practice magic like that in the past. I really because, you know, atheism culture, materialist, secular culture sometimes convinces you, oh, this is ridiculous. Nobody did this. This is, you know, but then I was like after hearing and like it was a it was glitch bottle, the glitch bottle podcast, actually. That actually had come up. And I'm hearing, um, it's Dr. Steven Skinner. I'm doctor. Does this guy have a real, like, is he really a doc? He is. This is an, a, this is a, an intelligent academic man <laughs> talking about magic. And then that, like, that blew it off. And like, the, then before you know it, I just dove in and here I am now. <laughs> That's kind of the background. Like, it's, it's kind of like the, the wave of it, but it was really, I think it was really that, that, that happenstance with the YouTube algorithm and hitting those videos that kind of blew my mind that it was even a thing. Happenstance. Yeah. Happenstance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Supposedly, you know, and um, part of me wishes, man, I really wish I would have stuck with it when I was a teenager or maybe, you know, just rediscovered it sooner, you know, because I remember having vaguely spiritual experiences. I wrote um, slam poetry too. And like reviewing my old poetry, I was, I was invoking shit. Like that was my poetry. Really? It really was. Like I was, I was invoking the moon goddess. I had an obsession with goddesses and the moon. Like, like, like (laughs) I, in, in my weird sort of, I, you know, I was an atheist and I'm a man of science, you know, but like, you know, my unconscious, that Jungian, Carl Jung's unconscious was coming out of my poetry. And it was all about goddesses and demons and moons and, (laughs) and this, this deep, yeah, it was, it's interesting to like, look back at that and realize like, I didn't even know what I didn't even know myself then now (laughs) as much as it's weird. It's a weird, it's a weird journey. It's a definitely changes your perspectives. How strange that uh, spiritualism would come out of raw creative power. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, if you'd asked me back then as like a, a hardline material, so like, oh, it's just errors in our brain. You know, like it it is I was I was the worst type of atheist at one point. Like it's, you know, that the four horsemen. I I would look up to Hitchens like, oh, he was so great. (laughs) You know, and now you realize that. Do I know? Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's and like you also really like like coming out of that, you realize how cultish it was. How absolutely yes. cultish and dogmatic, how well related it was to the same version of Protestant evangelizing Christianity. There's, there's a word for this, and the atheist community doesn't like to use it. It's called irrational. <laughs> You're so rational that you become irrational. I mean, honestly, the, the yeah. kinds of worshiping at the feet of the four horsemen is exactly what I've seen in atheist spaces because they are trading evangelical zeal that's it that's what it is it's evangelical zeal it's yeah, just and even when forms. their heroes can do no wrong even though there's contextual factual evidence that they've done wrong like that the the terrible amount of like misogyny that was happening around new atheism it was like oh you can't say that about lawrence krauss he's <laughs> you know like he was like untouchable or something like yep. <laughs> yeah and it's like you guys are literally making the exact same mistakes and it, it it was getting out like I got disillusioned on it in my later twenties. Like I wasn't a hardline atheist as I got in my later twenties. But looking back at that, I definitely see it now, and I definitely see how that like influenced me as a young man negatively, positively in some ways. Like you know, I I was more skeptical. I was more rational thinking in good ways, but also a lot of negative ways too. Like uh, those people are a little high on their own supply, is the term you would use. Oh yeah, I mean, especially since. Uh... Oh, what's his face? Dawkins has seriously come out in favor of trans misogyny. Uh, <laughs> it kind of blew my mind because he was one of those guys who could actually hold down a debate somewhat decently without character assassination. And then when it came to trans folks, all of a sudden he turned into a total douche nozzle. He was saying things that I thought came out of evangelical Christianity's mouth and they were dropping out of his. It was just like, What? Yeah. What is this? You're a fucking biologist, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, the more I think about it sometimes, the more I realize that we're not always in the pilot seat. Those That's things, true. those things, like people go, well, no, I'm rational and I've moved past those things. You haven't. They, it, sometimes they take the pilot seat right from you and you're just the observer. And that's, I think a lot when you see people like that who would typically like, what, this is really seems almost out of character for them. It's like, well, all that societal programming that we can use the term egregore. I sometimes like to refer to ideas are spirits in a lot of ways, and they seek human collaborators and they they will step into the pilot seat on you. And you don't even know what you're doing sometimes. I mean, it's happened to me. Um, uh, it was something that brought up a conversation with somebody personally with me who was like really running to the defense of demons. Like, and I understand it. I understand. Like, you don't like it when that's something you're into and people are dogging it. But if they're really as powerful as you know them to be, they don't really need you to defend them. You're you, somebody's taking the pilot seat from you right now. Like you're stressed out. You're bent yourself up like a pretzel over what somebody said on social media, a guy you'll never see again. Like you'll never have to share room air in the same room with them, but you've bent yourself in a pretzel and talked to me two hours about this guy who's made you upset. You're no longer in your pilot seat. <laughs> Probably, you know, and then, you know, when you sit back and think about that, like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Is that really the most effective use of my time and energy? Like, is that even me at that rate? 
And I, I really like, I think, I don't know for sure. I'm not saying I know for sure, but to me, that's, that's a sign of something to me, right? Not that demons have taken him over, but that maybe something else has taken that, that social media algorithm that needs you to be outraged to keep you engaged, right? That idea needs a human collaborator and that human collaborator may, it may choose you. And if you don't want, you, you know, I don't want to be that collaborator. So like I, I'm kind of like that's part of like why I step back from TikTok um, yeah. and sometimes why I have to step back from social media because, you know, sometimes there's very negative ideas crawl under your skin because they're looking for that human collaborator to manifest them into the world. And, you know, is that an idea I want manifested in the world? Needless pedantic arguments over something that no one truly understands? Nah. <laughs> well, I mean, like. Even if something is just, you know, feeding off of that negativity, man, there's probably been no greater engine for negativity than social media has been ever. I mean, the the, the sustained amount of negativity, we're now eclipsing what all the wars, you know, yeah. like just in sheer time and length. <laughs> I mean, what a feeding trough. Yeah, ex oh, exactly. It's, um, you know, like it, the, the term don't feed the trolls really comes to mind <laughs> right, here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it really comes exactly. to mind. We're not referring to people, I think, when we say that. Like, maybe there's an unconscious thing there where we're like, don't feed this thing. Right? Because, you know, they, we've come to this before. Like, war begets war every time. Right? Violence always escalates till it ends. Like, and it's like, if you feed that thing, it's going to... It's actually a really interesting concept to think about because the more you engage with and interact on any social media platform, whether it's TikTok or Facebook or Discord or Instagram or et cetera, et cetera, you know, the hundreds that are out there, the more you are feeding this idea of the egregore or spirit that is within this social media atmosphere that keeps drawing you back and feeding you those dopamine releases just enough to keep you hooked but then also bringing up the things that incite that anger, that draw it out of you so that it can feed then feed off of you more. I mean, you could almost look at them like energetic vampires. Yeah, parasites. Yeah, and just yeah. that are sucking energy out of people. Like, I have walked away from so many uh, social media platforms, and I have never been happier in my life exactly. than I am right now. And it just yeah. feels great. And if you think about the structure of parasites in biology, they, they always leverage, hi cat, um, they always leverage, uh, um, some part of the host organism's biology too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the ticks are using your blood, um, fleas are living in your hair. Well, like, if you think about that structure, that mere structure, well, why do we gravitate towards the negative and conflict? Well, like, from a survival standpoint, we have to resolve conflict to survive as a group, right? You know, or like it. So it's like that these we can, I don't know, psychic parasites are leveraging parts of our own biology, like our outrage and our fear and those type of things are perfect things to leverage to be parasitically, you know, to feed off of us. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's understandable why people get upset, for example, like when someone insults your religion or insults you online. It's understandable you're getting upset. That that's that's actually important to your survival to get upset right now. <laughs> like, yeah, yes, you, you are entitled to that anger. You're, you're entitled to that anger, and it's important to you. But it, the parasite is leveraging that that biological mechanisms that's for your survival for its own survival. And it's fascinating to me that we can find that particular structure in biology. We can find that particular structure all over actual creation in the material world. And it, it, to me, it's a it's almost like 
isn't it obvious that probably more is structured as we're looking around or there's some kind of purpose to the structure or at least, you know, I don't know. To me, it's fascinating. It's definitely the tunnel I go down to because I see those parallels, you know, and I don't think the parasites are. How do you put it? Like a tick doesn't have a problem with me, right? Like a tick isn't like, you know, it, it's just doing the thing in its nature too. So it's like, it, it's silly to get angry at tick. That's at a tick. It's like getting angry at the ocean for having waves. It's, <laughs> you know, how dare you wave at me? Yeah. It's, you know, I've ordered my legions to attack the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> the real enemy of Rome is Poseidon. Right. Really? <laughs> Look, I'm really salty about this subject. Can we just move on? <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I, I got a face a... palm out of Saren. Sorry. <laughs> I really think it one, is like... a valid point, though, because like how many times have you walked away from social media? You know, and yes, we do get those little boosts sometimes when one of our posts is doing well or we get a good response to something. But I think more often than not, when we're logging off, you're exhausted. How many times have you logged off with social media and just went, oh, man, I, you know, I'm like, why the hell were you on it for so long if it's that exhausting? But yet. I've had to take some naps it. after some Reddit beefs for sure. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, Reddit. Oh, boy. Yeah. Any yeah. place is going to inspire that kind of diehard cutthroat shit. I've, I've written that, oh novels my. to argue with people for some reason. I have like, I was like reviewing that, like, oh man, like so much productivity. Like I could have enriched my life with like a pizza at least, you know, like <laughs> I would have rather made like a pizza from scratch than spent time writing a novel about how this guy's wrong. <laughs> well, that guy's going to read those 5,000 words and it's going to change his life. Yeah. Totally. yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> look at that wall of text and be like, nah, I'm not fucking reading that. Never mind. No, I, I use paragraph breaks. I'm not that guy. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> no one likes that guy. Yeah. No well, those of us that. who actually read those, we appreciate the paragraph breaks. Have you ever copied and pasted it and put your own paragraph breaks to handle it? Like sometimes I have. Yeah. I'm like, I really need to read this, but I can't. It, it's just a, a block. I can't do this. I think um, something that you, you picked up on is the the overriding sense. Like it's 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 not only tapping in; it's actually like almost amplifying the emotional sphere. And I find that incredibly interesting. That this is a lot of these are algorithm based, and they almost have this organic feeling to them of let's see just how much shit I can gin up. Yeah. And I mean, I get it from, from an advertising SEO perspective that drives clicks that drives advertisement. And there is something to the, there is no such thing as bad publicity because if you're stirring the pot, you're actually getting people interested in the soup. Yeah. You're getting eyes. Mm -hmm. You need the eyeballs. Like uh, that's just how it works. And the attention the attention is um particularly like i don't know how to describe it but like uh i mean i i'm pretty sure plenty of people have talked about how paying attention to a spirit imbues that spirit at least with some power in the material world right mm -hmm. so you know like paying attention to anything kind of imbues it with that power and if we can go back to ideas seek out human collaborators because that's how i view ideas now like a lot of ideas I don't think originate somehow like from the gray matter. Like they, we don't just conjure them up from nothing, but,
but they're actually out there in the universe and they're looking for collaborators, right? And so sometimes I look at those algorithms and that advertising, that dark sorcery that is advertising, because it is dark sorcery. Um, that thing was looking for a human collaborator a long time and it found us and us, you know, yeah. you know. And I, I'd be curious. I, I can't wait because all the UFO stuff's going on. I really want to know if there's aliens out there with their own advertisers and their own ridiculous. Because I, I have this distinct <laughs> feeling that the experience is so universal because, you know, they've done research to find that chimps have religion. Like they do mm-hmm. rituals and things like chimps do and um, other animals do. Elephants will paint. You can teach an elephant to paint and they'll do artistic renditions of things that they experience and see. And so it's like, it's more than just us. This is how the universe is structured. So I can't, I can't wait till we find some other life somewhere that's in, uh, complex enough to do these things. And cause I'm sure there's, there is an alien advertising agency that can't wait to sell us its new soft drink. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> I'm sure of it. Right. <laughs> I'm just thinking that they just by, by, by that standard, we'll know when aliens have reached the earth because they've hired a PR firm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so are they going to be called ahr for alien human relations yeah probably <laughs> something you know stop giving them fucking ideas <laughs> Look, it's already there but i i agree with you about the the whole thought form thing because i don't i, I have a hard time believing that thoughts just like burst out of the grave matter i i have a very deep uh strong belief in the universal hive mind when it comes to thoughts and ideas Um, because two people on opposite sides of the world can have a similar thought or idea strike them and neither of them have been in contact with each other at all. You know, they may interpret the idea a little bit differently, but they still are able to produce whatever this idea is asking them to produce given the, uh, supplies that they're giving given as a person in their environment and so to think of ideas as spirits and thought forms is very interesting because they kind of are living things you know because if you're like me you think about it for a very long time and then you eventually start picking it apart and adding things to it and like oh well this will work with this and you know etc etc sorry i'm very tired so i'm gonna babble i apologize to our listeners (laughs) It, it makes sense to me, though, because like when I did the prayer at the opening of the show, you know, um, and the meat hit me, that is not my gray matter generating jacket shit. <laughs> I'm not consciously thinking about what's coming up as the words are bubbling out of my mouth. It's tapping into the spirits or the idea or the ideas of the spirits and then go. And I find that it's it's the more that I let my tongue loosen in terms of like not trying to do a strict poetic structure, the easier time I have just letting everything come forward as it will, because I'm not getting in my, my gray matter at that point is no longer getting in front of what the spirit or spirits or whatever wants to talk. I'm not in the way I'm just being a conduit. And I I think it's interesting because you can see this happen, whether it's trends on TikTok, it's trends on social media in general, whether it's overarching trends in the communities we're we're part of. Because a good chunk of the occult community that I'm watching on Twitter has all of a sudden either found again or is really deeply interested in grimoire activities again, specifically to do with goetic spirits. And I find that 
fascinating as hell. And I'm also learning quite a bit by just sitting back and watching. Um, because I've gone through a couple iterations of this with spirit work in the heathen community as well. Because there's trends like this that'll pop up. All of a sudden, a whole shitload of people start getting tagged for spirit work, tagged for spirit work. And then it'll go silent or damn near for months or years at a time. And then it'll crop back up again. And I, it's just it's interesting to, to watch the trends kind of mutate and all the ebb and flow between different spirits and people. And what I think is, is really fascinating about this is the understanding that more and more people are having that not only are there spirits, but you're one of them. <laughs> you're not separate. You're in the soup with these other spirits. You just have access to certain levels of reality that these spirits want access to and that vice versa, you want access to theirs. So yeah, how can well, we how can I, we talk and make something happen? There is at least one system that that proposed that our gray matter is just the intermediary. It's the it's the computer mm -hmm. interface essentially that ideas and memories are stored in our energy field, and we just use the brain to access them. Which is a is a parallel to how we're I think a lot of us see spirit communication in general. So it does make sense that the idea is a spirit, and it just seeks the the proper people for. I always refer to the uh, brain more like an antenna. To me, sure. it's not. I'm my consciousness isn't created from the gray matter. My gray matter is capturing consciousness. It's like tuned in. Yeah, you because know, people always go, well, if you know, if you aren't your brain, then why do people change when they have brain trauma? And I'm like, well, they're in, I like the antennas changed, right? <laughs> but I, mo I broke thing. most of the tines off of my antenna and I can no longer receive stations from Toledo. Yeah, well, the, the Hindus <laughs> figured this out with mindfulness meditation. You're not your brain. You're not even your mind. You're your awareness of that. Because what is mindfulness but stepping back and realizing that you're not your thoughts because you can be aware of your thoughts and you're not actually in, <laughs> you know, it's like, they're like stuff. I always liken it to detritus floating down a river. You, me, me, the person, the awareness is the observer sitting at the bank of the river and I'm watching this stuff float down river. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the key for mindfulness to me is letting the stuff float and not chasing after it or getting mad at it for the audacity of floating by and disturbing my peaceful river. <laughs> um, to me, that's fascinating. Like, right. Because when I, when it finally dawned on me, like, wait a minute, like all these thoughts, especially, you know, personal thoughts and stuff that I have trouble with, that's not me. I'm aware of those things now. And I'm like that, that those things don't have to define me. They're merely, you know, the detritus going down the uh, river. Um, and another thing that uh, really inspired this is, of course, Aiden Walker, who wrote Six Ways and then Weaving Fate. He's a big influence on me. And he did this one interview with somebody where he talked about a dream he had. And it blew my mind. Like Very rarely does someone else have a dream that blows my mind. But he, he had a dream that he was creeping in like he was spying on some spirits. And they had a grimoire, a book. And inside that book had his tattoos. Think about that. They were reading the book on how to work with him from their side of things. That's, that's what he got from that dream. And to me, that's awesome, actually. That really, like, I was yeah. like, wait a minute, this may, because, like, I can only imagine, I can't remember the director, the director of Hereditary, but he was like, he's right there with Paimon, you know? <laughs> you know, oh my, I came up with, uh, when I got into Goetia, um, Hereditary had just come out 
And like, oh, my God, it was so insufferable, the amount of threads and questions and things about how do I summon King Pie Man? Like, it was like, oh, my God. But you had to like that particular spirit probably made a really powerful chess move to move up his hierarchy or something like that. Like, because I'm, I'm wondering, like, that world can't be static over there. Like the stuff no, I'm reading right, from right, the, no. it can't be. medieval and Renaissance era isn't static. And people go, oh, the difference is here because of forgery, mistranslation. I'm like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are like, are we sure that the mistranslation like was just a mistake? Maybe, maybe the scribe's hand was moved by, or that, that mistake is not, you know, there is no coincidences that the hierarchy right. is changing constantly like if we're changing then it's only assumption that if this is actually a part of the universe it's changing as well and just having hakate blast out on the scene like she does or king paimon blast out on the scene as they do is an indication i think that someone's made you know they're going no now now the chessboard's moving you know they've made a move yeah, or, I, you know, I that's actually one of my uh, i always i always think about the old man on that one 15 years ago hardly anybody working with Odin. It was few and far between. Now you can't hardly kick a rock without running into Odin or Loki worshippers. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, no um, offense, Earth. <laughs> take it. No, 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 no. This I, I, it's funny. You, I was literally going to launch into something like that because even this current of thought works in heathenry as well, because we can look at historical evidence where Tyr was likely this sky God King of Asgard. And over time, Odin's like, mine now, motherfucker. So, you know, even in Henry, we get these currents of understanding and thought where our gods change places. Now, I don't think that Loki's ever going to be the chief of Asgard. I don't think that's that's his role. I I, I don't know. Have you seen how society's going? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, no. he's got a Disney Plus show right now. He's moving up. All right, yep. <laughs> he's, yeah, yep. he's got one Disney, and they scare the out of me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Let's not talk about magic. the Egregore that is Disney. Disney magic, yeah. I, uh, but I mean the 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 currents of of understanding here work very well within heathenry because it also works in reverse. Like it's not just that I've got the runes as tattoos in my skin. It's that the runes are in me now. I there are there's all kinds of conversations I have just walking out my front door and going somewhere for five minutes where somebody will see these and sometimes it's a oh is that ancient Hebrew no no, no dude it's not but it'll generate a conversation because all of a sudden something about those runes has tripped something in their head and now they want to know now something is reaching out and saying hey. Hey, let's have a conversation. So it's it's you know whether it's tattoos, whether it's shows, whether it's Disney getting a hold of a god, um, there's or the god getting a hold of or the, Disney, or the god getting a hold of Disney. Yeah, yeah. Because I have I have zero doubt that both Loki and Odin would use different mediums to their their whims, just like King Paimon would. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's like total sense. Like what is even what even is imagination is a question. Like it's not even like a stoner thought thing. But if you look at what imagination is, you know you can take well. Like uh, I believe Storm brought up 
Caitlin, um, you know, two writers on different sides of the world having pretty much the same idea, different cultures, different backgrounds, different ways they were raised, different environments, different everything different. But at the heart of it, that idea sought out its human collaborators and found them. And I, I don't know if you, like I'm creative and other, you know, obviously you guys are creative. Have you ever had an idea just kind of you lose it because you didn't seize it? Because you probably mm-hmm. weren't. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. That idea was like, well, this person's kind of, you know, they're a little too busy. I'm going to go find someone else who's going to. I There were so many times that I had a plan for a TikTok video that I watched Jim do or I watched like Coco, the witchy aunt do. I was like, ah, oh. I didn't I didn't. See, and, and now thinking about it, it's like I didn't seize that. Like that idea was seeking me as a collaborator, too. And then when it got mm-hmm. tired of my laziness, it went off to someone who was less lazy than me. <laughs> I was going to say, it gets really trippy when you actually run into the person that ended up with your idea and you're like, hang on a second. I held on to that for like two years <laughs> and now I can't find it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go sit it's, down it's, for a second. It's certainly like it's it's I don't like um, it's so strange because we have the study of like psychology, for example. And like, I recently just started reading uh, Carl Jung stuff. Like I'm reading Man in the Symbols right now, and I'm fascinated by it. Um, you know, some things I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if you're right about that. But I find that their approach to psychology is so mystic that like these, you're, you're all acting like shamans right now, right? And then like you get to modern psychology where it's like, Happy Chemical made rat happy 51% of the time. I wonder if Happy Chemical makes ha- rat, rat happy. I need to get... 30 more grand in funding from this advertising agency to figure out if happy chemical works. And it's, it's, it's so perverse now from what it was originally started out. Like even Freud was like wrong about a lot of things, but at least he was examining the ideas of really like what's going on with this thing called psyche. And now if you try to talk to a neuroscientist nowadays, some neuroscientists will say consciousness is fake. How ridiculous is that notion? I can just immediately, the moment someone tells me, like, Sam Harris believes that consciousness is fake. Like, it's not real. Like, but then, like, what you're basically telling me is that you're not real and that I shouldn't even buy anything you say right now because you don't even regard the exact experience that we're having as legitimately being a type of real because it doesn't, because you can't measure it. It must not be real. And that's, that's ridiculous. Like that's utterly, but it's, it's, it's the dominant culture. And when it feels its dominance, when that idea feels its dominance being threatened, it responds in kind. Even, um, I always say materialism is kind of like the demiurge. It's a blind idiot God. It does, it doesn't even recognize it's almost its own godhood as materialists. Mm-hmm. Like materialists don't recognize that they're kind of not in the pilot seat. You know, because some people will like they literally think like your cat, for example, is just a bundle of quantum phenomenon. They will say that to you and people think they're atheists. But then I tell them, do you think your cat's just a bundle of quantum phenomenon? Well, no, not. Yeah. See, exactly. Like (laughs) Maybe it's more than just quantum phenomenon, like clear, you know, it is quantum phenomenon, but maybe it's more than that. (laughs) Mm hmm. You certainly well, that, wouldn't say your cat into, is fake. That gets into meaning making, and that's uncomfortable because you can't measure that shit. Yeah, you can't measure it. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about like people will will ask me like, well, how can you believe that all these things are interconnected? And I'm like, okay, well, take your hearts to hard science. How can you believe they're not? Well, I turn turn it around because I mean, Earther or weird works. Whether you're talking about quantum entanglement, whether you're talking about the interrelated object to the observer it it's it's not 
something that you can just divorce from physical reality any more than you can divorce it from the metaphysic or the spiritual reality that it's commenting on. Because if I punch myself in the face, uh, whether or not that's quantum mumbo jumbo going on, because I, I don't know the fucking science, like, let me be real, I'm, I'm a psych major. Uh, I punch <laughs> myself in the nose, I have a certain chemical reaction because I'm pissed, why did I punch myself in the nose? Right? Yes, you have cascading effects, cause and effect. Yes, that, that doesn't go away because I happen to have meaning that I understand for what happens when that go- goes on. Now, what I find really interesting is the materialist ends up, if you, if you dig down deep enough, eventually gets to the elephants all the way down argument. Because, and, and it has to. Because once you get down to quarks, and you start arguing at that level of differentiated matter, there's six pieces of matter floating around in this ether, then you have to start employing poetry in order to actually talk about shit. It gets into this really nimby area where words really struggle because we don't have, our, our brains can't even really fully conceive of what the fuck we're looking at. Because even, even people who study mathematics for 18, 20 years of a stretch have a hard time explaining it, let alone doing the fucking math. Okay, if it's that hard to conceptualize that small, how much harder, when you, when you pull the picture out and look at it, how much harder, how much more grandiose and yet simple can it be? Yeah. Well, math is mysticism as far as I'm Absolutely. concerned. Absolutely. It used to be considered a school of mysticism back in, you know, Py- Pythagoras. Pythagoras. Right? Yeah. And the thing is, if you actually look at the Pythagorean theorem, that literally lays out relativity right there because you can map all the same variables and it makes sense. Oh, this the reason you can't go faster than light because it's this side of the triangle and this side of the triangle can is always bigger than this side of the triangle. I can't remember it exactly. Uh, there's a minute Earth video on it. And it's fascinating. And it's like, you know. It's like math is mysticism, right? There's, there's. Well, yeah, Donald Duck taught me that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and even the use of the terms, like you were saying, Sarah, nobody understands the science. Well, you're right. To a large degree, nobody does. That's why so many of the scientific terms get bastardized for mysticism, is because nobody really understands some of those levels of science. They're all trying to figure it out still. So. Yeah, and it and it and it seems it's kind of frustrating when people go, no, this is definitely it. And I'm like, well, the standard model of physics is a is an utter disaster. String theory has been a 60 year waste of time. It's gone nowhere in terms of empirical evidence that strings theory actually means anything. It's just, in fact, a theory. The standard model of physics doesn't really work. It doesn't explain gravity. They've tried when they tried to find the graviton or the Higgs boson. What they, they found three different new particles, and so it threw the whole model off. It's it's an ugly model. It doesn't work, right? And to me, it's like you know, well, you're trying to I don't know you. It's like when you're a materialist is trying to measure the universe with like probably only well, like, let's take an example. Only four percent of the known universe is comprehensible to the human eye. Like we can. The rest of it, they had to invent dark matter. There's no proof that dark matter exists. They have one NASA experiment. One experiment does not make a fact. And so they've made up something. Well, the gravity has to be somewhere. So it's in dark matter and dark energy. But you haven't proved that actually exists. So you so apparently (laughs) materialism is only good for describing about four percent of the known universe. And we're supposed to trust them on the the rest. Ninety six (laughs) percent. Basically, they, they swapped out 
dark matter when they used to use terms like uh, uh, ether, uh, ether, or or ectoplasm or things no. like that. Yeah, it's it's all okay. the same. We don't know, so this must be it. And so, and you can go back in mystic terms and find the modern scientific equivalent like and i one of my favorite examples of like my defensive astrology example because this is a great one you have what is called your saturn's return saturn circumvents the solar system about every 29 years what marks your saturn's return um cropping up health problems so if you have any lingering health problems they're going to crop up you're going to get more mature you're going to recognize the constrictions and binds of life you're going to experience saturnarian things well what is a saturn return just describes turning 30 there's no, yep. there, there were not, there's not an argument. It's describing the same event. Um, when you're Sumerian, you don't have a good measurement of yearly cycles and stuff. Saturn return, when you're going back to the Hellenistic and Sumerian astrology, they're describing the same event. They just don't have the, the they're just using different terms and words. So Saturn's returns are undeniably real. So this astrology is undeniably correct. You just don't like the language of saying Saturn's return. We say turning 30, but it's describing the exact same thing so you mean to tell me this like no it's like and these guys figured that out by looking at the stars and by examining their lived experience and to me that's you know it's like um the war planet mars because mars is a big part of my life right now um whether i like it or not <laughs> and um you know they said well well, iron is a martial metal and fire and red is and stuff. And sure enough, they happen to name the war god planet uh, is covered in red. <laughs> you know, it's iron oxide. It's They didn't know that that's a they can see it vaguely being red. They didn't know it's covered in iron oxide. Also, there's evidence that there was a form of nuclear explosion that happened one time on Mars. And I'm not saying it conclusively alien blew it up, but I am saying that something happened on there that we would associate with war. That became nuclear weapons is immediately something we associate with a total annihilating war. Well, there's constituent chemicals that express nuclear explosions on Mars. So you mean to tell me some guys way back in Samaria meditated on an object in the sky and were in a lot of ways poetically correct about that object that we can physically see and measure and examine? And then here's what NASA does. I don't think they did this consciously. They send something called the Viking lander to the war planet. God <laughs> on a Tuesday. Oh, of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an astrologer working for you? Or are you just like, are you just being cute? I don't like, I mean, there was that guy who at one point was really heavy into the occult and helped develop modern rocketry. Oh, you mean Parsons? Yeah, you know, that guy. The modern American Dr. Faust. He has the, he lives like, you know, that myth, the story, that Joseph Campbell arc of storytelling. And you want, read Faust, read about Parsons and tell me if the parallels aren't there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was it, that behind it, the Bastards that you uh, Behind had the Bastards. Yeah, that's a great two part episode on him. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, and I mean, like, so the thing about with some of the particle physics and that sort of thing is I once frustrated a, a Christian when they asked me, well, if there is no God, where did the universe come from? And my answer was, as soon as the universe realized that we as humans were perceiving time and we needed an origin, it created one. But really, in a certain sense, we don't know that that's incorrect. Like a lot of these, when they go to look for one subatomic particle and find three, the way matter can pop in and out of existence 
for some of these models, we don't know that the universe went, oh, shit, they can test for that now. I don't know. Let's make something up. Yeah. Or the irony of finding a holy number, too, of that amount of particle, too. I just realized that when you said three particles, they found three, right? Like, and we've got the Trinity and all the all the triple faced got it. Like, that's such a huge three. Excuse me. Hey, you know, I just at, at one rate, like my own skepticism, I had to be skeptical of the skeptics, you know, and it's definitely it's not. I mean, I guess we could say that it's compromise, you know, it's, you know, bias confirming in some ways for if you're mystically inclined but sure. at the, but there's a side of that where you're kind of like but like maybe like these guys the old ancients that you know the 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 old sorcerers the old magicians the old witches the 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 soothsayers and stuff maybe through meditation and examining the world came to conclusions that are more or less technically correct just not correct in a way that our current um post-colonial style like well it's really like colonialism 2.0 that's what materialism mm-hmm. ultimately is materialism is. is born out of uh, a bunch of uh posh englishmen deciding that they were smarter than everybody else and could manage the world because everyone else is backwards and dumb and they believe dumb things and we have the, and that's where it, that's the true it, it, it's born out of the same things right um and it's it has the theory the of evolution it, simply deposing monotheism for atheism yeah it's it, it's born out of the same things and it's like me i can be a spiritual per like to me evolution is one of the most spiritual acts ever you mean to tell me inert rocks became life and like we've all been moving strangely more and more to this pinnacle of a complexity and advancement and like um for example one of the things i always tell people i like to trip people out but it's like you literally walk on corpses all day long every day what do you think dirt is dirt is constant um organisms dying um and like originally the planet is water and rock and then you have organisms in the sea. And then eventually, like, in order to create life on land, you know, it had to move plants and things to the land. <laughs> and that creates dirt. Um, all that stuff. It's like, it's just fascinating that you can look at that and go, this is random happenstance. And it's like, maybe the or- universe is literally ordering itself, right? You know, that's what scares me also about AI. Is like, like, again, maybe we're not in the pilot seat here. We're not creating AI for ourselves. Something wants us to create that. You know, even um, That's good dare I invoke Elon Musk, but even he like, you know, was like, I sometimes think humanity is just here to bootstrap AI. Which is, I mean, you know, bootstrapping is a term we use in engineering is to get it started, like pull it up. Right. <laughs> and right. It, we're, we're, we're just boilerplate for consciousness and intelligence. We're the boilerplate version of it and now it wants something that's metal and powerful that can soar through. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's a conflict there. I don't know. Um, I, certainly... I don't like the idea of Elon Musk kind of being the, <laughs> the avatar for the Reapers. I'm just saying. <laughs> but he might be. He might literally be. Unknowingly, too. Again, like some of the stuff, like especially with the Jungian stuff I'm reading, is like the unconscious is a strange thing. It having really engaged is. with it, too. It is. And it's examining my own dreams and stuff like that is certainly and i'm like you know sometimes i'm i'm really concerned that we're not always in the pilot seat and we should probably like take a look at that <laughs> you know I'm picturing this like giant laboratory and one god walks in and the other one says look i've made ai and the other one says yes but look what the fucking mess you made in this lab <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's humanity we are the mess in the lab <laughs> 
Did you have like, to make Islam? monkeys with anxiety first? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it seems like a really backwards way of going about this process, if I'm honest. Look, if this anxious monkey, as long as I get a mech suit, we're good. Yeah. That's all I want. Giant metal mecha suit, and that would be awesome. Um, but stepping into the, the idea of the unconscious mind and actually becoming conscious of the unconscious mind and how active it is throughout your daily activities, whether it be spiritual or everyday life, um, is really a fascinating journey. Uh, I started doing all of that at the very beginning of my path through doing yoga and learning Buddhism and meditation and all that shit. And it was very, very alarming to be able to step back in my waking mind and still be totally fully functioning human being doing my job, but also observing myself doing my job and have total and complete control over my body and what it was doing and how it was interacting with people and actively being able to slow everything down enough to be like, instead of reacting this way, instead of pushing this button here that I always push every time, let's push this other button over here that I didn't even know was an option. I didn't know that was there because this first button was given to me. It was ingrained in me in my upbringing or through my experiences with friends, or this is how I saw the world as a teenager. And I never grew out of that, but here I am a 25 year old something. And I'm realizing, Oh my God, the world is much bigger than my own conscious mind. What else is out there? So let's see, Holy shit. There's a whole fucking control board here. And I don't know what 99.9% of these buttons fucking do. Let's push them all. (laughs) Particularly the one in the glass case. Let's see what that. <laughs> yeah, who's got the key? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, interesting. Like things I've, I uh, personally in my own unconscious mind is I, I recently picked up doing. Um, so, like this, this is kind of a fun thread to go down. So, I wanted to learn more about the war god. I like. I don't. I'm not a hard polytheist. I, I'm kind of like, and this. A lot of these things sound so similar. Like you know, it's. I think it's all like blind men and the elephant style stuff. But like, I wanted to understand War God, and it actually came from like a lot of dealing with that witch war stuff on uh, TikTok. One of the things I hate about I, I plan to make a YouTube video on this because I I, I, I want to make enemies, I guess. But people who threaten curses make me laugh now. People oh, yeah. who threaten cur- curses who make me laugh. So I understand curses are inherently violence. And the now we all ha- have a capacity for violence. Ninety nine point nine percent of us lack the will and the capability and i know this firsthand because i go two three times a week to a place to literally fight other dudes um it none of your instincts in a fight suck you're you would be surprised that even even if you do want to hurt that other person how much you're holding back inside yourself even trained soldiers have a uh i want to say it's a 25 percent miss rate at least yeah these are trained marksmen and they just it, it the the no don't right there's there's no need to kill them maybe maim them <laughs> yeah and even then yeah it's um trained marksman will sometimes intentionally fucking miss yeah it's bizarre so like the fact that you think that you can have the mentality to harm another human being so easily is kind of 
ridiculous. It's like I you think like um, I was reading a book called Meditations on Violence It is done by a corrections officer who basically described his life in corrections as a fight every day. You know, and he's not a guy who's proud of it. In fact, he wrote the whole book to explain violence is terrible. You know, don't fall for this. And it's mainly written for other martial artists. But it was written at a time, too, where there was a lot of um, my martial arts, the best and I can kick your ass kind of deal. And he's like a guy who has to deal with real live brutal brutality and violence. That's his that's where he found himself in life. And, it, you know, the way he describes it, it's like I was like he's describing also cursing in a lot of ways to me, because like, that's an act of violence. If you want to harm another human being, you're committing an act of violence. Um, as much as you consciously think you want to do that, I'm pretty sure there's a part in your you know, back at, back then in the unconscious, it's stopping you. Very few, like, there's a reason that very few people reach the elite level of fighting and boxing and in the UFC. Because it's not like, it's not like football where there's tons of high schools full of it. Um, it's, it's because very few people are actually just built like that. And then it made me think about cursing and, and all those things. And like, how, when people think they're cursed too, it's just, to me, the the fascination, um, I, I it's kind of morbid that I have a fascination with violence, but like it's it's I don't know. I found like so many weird spiritual qualities into it and start to understand the war god a little bit more. One of the things I immediately ran into um, too was like, don't you dare enchant on any of this. Don't you dare or I will crush you is kind of the, the feeling I got. I don't want to I don't like to pretend like I'm like in direct conversation with Mars or Aries himself. But that's like, you know, when I was kind of like thinking that direction, it was basically like you can ask for blessings. You can ask for improvement on your own body. But don't you dare step into my world and enchant for something like that. I will crush you. Um, and, you know, you can divine for it, too. That was the other. You're OK if you want to divine for something. But um, I will crush you if you avoid your fate kind of deal. So like if I divine like, oh, tonight's going to be bad. I got to go. I have to go still. Like it is sometimes it's nice because like I'm in the mode. Like I'm like, all right, I stopped divining for it, too. I just don't know. I rather not know because, you know, <laughs> in jujitsu, we have a saying. Sometimes you're the hammer. Sometimes you're the nail. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really hard to go when you know you're about to be the nail. And I'm often <laughs> I'm. I'm I'm relatively average height, so I'm five eleven, but I am way underweight. I am uh, last I looked, I was 138 pounds. I am often a nail. (laughs) 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 Just that's just reality and physics. Um, And uh, something about exploring those unconscious things, though, is when I finally let go of the conscious nervousness and things that I do a lot better, right? And just recently, I, I was uh, in jujitsu. We call it rolling when we're sparring. I, I was rolling with uh, a, a woman, a young woman. Um, and that's always a little bit awkward <laughs> just because like, um, you know, our cultural thing around fighting another woman. And then there's there's the physical capacity thing. I I naturally have more physical capacity than her. And so there, there there's kind of a hey, like, don't in jujitsu you're not supposed to use your strength really like you, being strong is good in competition mm-hmm. that's where you use your strength but during rolling you're not learning anything if you muscle everything in and she whooped my ass and i ended up asking her like like and, and like i started out light and then i went for a triangle choke so i'm throwing my leg over her shoulder and her arm just comes out and she smashes me to the ground with a no <laughs> and crawls on top of me on mount and if it was a striking match i'm done for she's just gonna hammer fist me into the ground 
<laughs> and I asked her, like, how did you know to do that so quick? I never catch like nobody else has ever caught my triangle like that. And she's like, I didn't even think about it. I just let go. And I was like, it was kind of like, oh, like all this stuff she's doing. She's just the, the key to her secret is she's just letting she don't think about it no more. And she just lets the war God take over. And yes. <laughs> before you know it, you know, I before I know it, I'm getting smashed by someone smaller than me. It's great. She goes a lot often. She's more skilled than me. But yeah, she smashed me. Like, I was just like, I was, I was shocked. I said, you broke my guard. Like I was, <laughs> and our instructor, uh, the coach laughed. It was like, yeah, she took it right from you. <laughs> I, um, I miss I miss jujitsu and, and mixed martial arts so bad. Uh, I cannot tell you. I started it like, I want to know more about the war God. I'll do this for a few weeks or something like that. And now I'm pretty sure I'm stuck for life. I don't know if I'm going to get out of it anymore. And that's, you know, it's, um, before I knew it, I'm leaving up offerings of pain and time for. I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it, uh, like if you ask me on certain days, do you want to go to jujitsu tonight? No. Are you going to go? Yes. <laughs> but that's the finer point of, I think, um, be like nobody. I don't, I don't think people think of it as a magical act, but it is. I am putting my body out there. I'm giving it my time. I'm getting my eager, my ego's being utterly destroyed. Like to the, I've, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I've had a manly cry over a jujitsu night. Like I've, I've gotten home and just like sat here like, Oh, what the fuck happened? And there's tears rolling down my eyes because <laughs> like it, it breaks, uh, especially uh, in our culture, the way we treat men in our culture too, it breaks you down when you realize that I can't fight. <laughs> I thought I would do all these type of things. Like I'd be a killer fighter if I just got in there. Right. Like, no, no, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't. <laughs> You're going to get crushed to the mat by a, a woman uh, that is underweight by you by 20 pounds because <laughs> she's trained. And she does it <laughs> and you don't. And it, it's an astounding experience. And I, I would say it does definitely make me closer to whatever that God is like. Um, a lot of people have different views of it. I also uh, equate it. Um, I, I'm a weird. I think he used the term Christio pagan. I think it's a weird Christian pagan type thing. But as far as I'm concerned, you've imbued so much of the Christian mythos into our world. I'm going to steal that and. Like I always tell, I tell other people who have like an aversion to it. You really want to make Christian mad. It's not heathenry that makes them mad. It's not being a pagan that makes them mad. It's not atheist. Heresy makes them mad. Heresy makes them mad. I'm like, Jesus is just a reincarnation of Dionysus to me, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's a similar story, right? Um, L uh, in the Genesis of the Bible, definitely a Saturn. I mean, that's undeniable. Like L was a Canaanite Saturnarian deity. It was the same deity. So the original God who's laying down all the rules and restrictions is the God of restrictions and rules and discipline. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the Sabbath is on Saturday, Saturn's day, right? <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's fascinating. Yep, exactly. So I use, um, when it comes to the war God, I think of chapter 32 of Genesis, uh, Jacob becoming Israel. He wrestles God, right? Or in some mystical traditions, it's Samiel. Samuel is the venom of God. And what did that get Socraticized with? The war God. What is war but the venom of creation? And that's how I view that now. That is, and so when I, when, when I go to jujitsu, the way I per, put it in perspective now is that I'm not fighting another individual. 
I'm wrestling with creation and, you know, I'm getting stronger for that's my sacrifice is I have to taste the venom. I have to have my ego destroyed. I I've been injured at least once. Um, you know, I'm definitely sore and pained afterwards, but you know, how do you build up a resistance to a poison or a venom? How do you make any venom? You got to get the venom, right? You know, that's to me, that is like, you know, that's how I also blend those ideas. And so like, it's been amazing. Like that's one of those things that's like kind of going in the book one day is like, Oh, you want to know more about the war God or you want to taste the venom of God and learn to become resilient to that venom. You got to go to martial arts class and afraid, <laughs> and you're going to have to taste that. And to me, that's a, the finer point of actual sorcery. I think um, that's another reason I kind of wanted to step away from social media and TikTok, for example, because it came about what type of candles do you buy or what type of crystals you own, right? Um, and to me, it's like, you no, know, how are you living your life? Because magic and spirituality is about your lived experience. You know, to me, the finer points of sorcery is almost, or witchcraft is curating that lived experience. Like a person who's not spiritual is just living their experience, right? Mm -hmm. But witchcraft tools, magic and stuff like that, that's, these are things that we use to curate, change and examine our lived experience to, to play with the weaving of fate, you know, like to maybe like toss a bone to one of the three sisters and like, Hey, could you weave that thread a little bit over here where I get a little bit more money as opposed to that thread where I'm broke all the time. <laughs> like, you know, and the term sorcery actually means to, uh, to sort the lots. Um, the epistemology of the word, I think is the word I'm supposed to use um, in Latin um, means sort the lots. And a sorcerer is the one who sorts the lots. Lots well, being like biblical lots, like the divine. Yeah, yeah I actually and, didn't realize that. That's really interesting. So, yeah, that's that's why I, I like sorcerer, because that's what I'm trying to do. It's like, you know, I'm first you divine. So you throw the lots. I don't like how this is turning. So what do you do to sort that, to change that? Right. And that leads to some yeah. interesting tarot magic, too. I've seen uh, I've played around with that idea, like lay out your spread. I don't like this. And then you're like, well, let's move this card over here. Like, and some of these mm -hmm. things are like, mm -hmm. what I've, I made a video on fortune telling really. Like, sometimes, like, it's a bad, it's a bad, bad stuff's happening, right? Sometimes there's nothing you can do. Like, right. I, there's a, I, I will die on this hill, but I feel like every tarot card reader should purposely remove for entertainment purposes off what they do. Because that was such a subversive thing that society has done to the, the sacred act of divination or fortune telling. I use fortune telling because I, I like how because people avoid fortune telling now, too, because it's considered fraudulent because that's mm -hmm. what materialist society has done. But I'm like, no, you're a fortune teller. And this is an important part of living, you know, and, and you're almost obligated. To, like this isn't for entertainment. This is your life. And the right the way yeah, I used to be a lot more important it used to Absolutely. be such a such a sacred thing. And all the all the yeah. leaders and, and wise people would go and and go to those diviners too because it was important it wasn't just oh, i got five bucks i'm gonna history. figure out if we're literally operating with only half our history not a battle decision was made from rome without the the usage of a horospex or uh, um an augury nope. not a battle was decided in greece or in persia without the use of a diviner um then yeah, so this yeah. noted the germans didn't go to war without consulting their oracles yep yeah, no, absolutely. No. So, like, and because any culture of how, that had them, it yeah. wasn't a question. You went. You went. 
Yeah, it's absolutely. And if it, it, it um, this leads to two interesting things. First off, we are missing half our history. Second off, um, it's it's to the deter- it's to the um, determination of a fortune teller whether they're going to tell you what they actually see or not. So people always go, well, that fortune teller lied because they didn't win that battle. I'm like, maybe that fortune teller was paid by that general's rival. And we we don't because, you know, that's not going to be written. And if it was written, it probably got tossed aside in our materialist culture that doesn't want to acknowledge that Rome, which it has a major heart on for, <laughs> were, were the spookiest weirdo people ever. You know, like they were throwing lead tablets in each other's wells because they were mad at each other. Like, they're crazy. <laughs> and people I mean, go, well, go ahead. We, we denigrate this history at our, our own peril. Like exactly. it's something that I encountered again and again in my history classes. Well, you know, that's they didn't really believe that. And I looked at him and said, No, you don't go and inscribe shit on lead tablets because you don't believe it's gonna have a material effect. You don't put shit in people's seats during a match for a gladiator or for a uh, a horse race and not expect a material result from that. <laughs> no, no. People blew too much time, money, energy, and resources for us to think that this is just bullshit. And the thing is, they had to have provable results, or we wouldn't have fucking done it. Oh, yeah. Like, with, uh, survival back then is so... Is, like, people don't... I uh, They don't realize that, like, that that's really is life or death for them. And, like, you don't when you're in a life or death situation, you tend to prioritize what's important, you know, and a lot of like bullshit goes out the window immediately. And that stuff stuck around. I mean, even Marcus Aurelius, cause I've been reading meditations recently, you know, he will talk about being skeptical of the illusionists and the sorcerers and stuff like that, but he still had a court astrologer. <laughs> he, he still had a court and he's a very reasonable man. And for all his reason, he still left the empire to an ill fit son. So for so much for reason, right? You know, uh, I always just say reason is a very fickle goddess anyway. She has a habit of making an ass out of you if you think you know what's up. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes, that is absolutely true. Yeah, what seems like a really logical decision at the time, sometimes in hindsight, you would have been better off following that dice divination. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it goes back to a, um, another thing that I point out to people that we're missing half the history on is like, we're, I mean, I think we're pretty sure that ancestor worship is the first religion, like caring for the dead. And now let's think about that from a survival standpoint. You have one tribe that does that and wishes to maintain ancestral wisdom. You have another tribe that does it. Um, which one do we have records of and evidence of the tribe that? So what I'm, what you're telling me though is, is that survival was easier when you venerated your ancestors because you hung on to ancestral wisdom. And that ancestral wisdom, when you don't quite have writing and literature yet, is indispensable. Like grandma knew what berries to eat to fix diarrhea. We didn't call on grandma. And grandma, like the spirit of grandma, whatever that experience, that hallucinatory experience for that shaman was, led them to the same herbs and berries that they were taught. And that, that, and that, that was key to our survival. Well, that's, let's not let's 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 be careful. Don't call it hallucinatory. Yeah, <laughs> just call call it the experience because the we don't experience. know if it's a hallucination. Yeah, you know, but what is a hallucination? Sometimes too, I just I think that we throw a lot of things out, and it's like mm-hmm. I, we're in a. I hate to be in the dangerous territory of what is mystical and what is mental illness because that's a 
that's, that's a, a dang- that's a mine. Yeah, that's a minefield. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to pretend because we get into this uh, question. Like someone asked me once, do you think ghosts are real? And I my answer was like, I don't. Well, there's no atom for a ghost. I don't think there's atom. You know, ghosts don't have atoms. They don't they don't have electrons. Maybe, you know, I did, There's no evidence for that. Right. Like, I don't have any evidence for that. So I'm not going to claim that they do. Um, experiences with ghosts are undeniably real. Every culture, almost every family has a ghost story. Everybody almost has a ghost story, no matter how mm. skeptical they are or not. Everybody's seen something that's disturbed them, been creeped out by a place or spot that felt haunted and left. Those experiences are undeniably true. And, you know, like, so are ghosts real? I don't know. We certainly have a lot of experiences with them. And I could say that about gods. Um, I could say that about any type of spiritual experience. Oh, is that real? Like, well, there's no scientific laboratory evidence of it. Yeah, but there's the endless contextual history of it all <laughs> and its incredible impact on the way we act. And yeah, it's like, so to me, it's like, um, I think there's always a big mistake in like paranormal communities is why they frustrate me because they're running around with thermal cameras trying to find a ghost. Like, what do you No, Just go there. There's a boatload of assumptions built into whether or not you're going to see one on a FLIR camera anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, like, I'm far more interested in your <laughs> your reaction and experience to something. Because you can tell when someone's genuinely, like, freaked out in a situation. Like, you've seen the fear on someone's face when, when, that, when that specter walks through them. Like, I, I've seen it before in a friend um uh playing around. <laughs> um, when I was a teenager with the demonology book, I mean, I watched... A chill ran up my friend's spine. Like I, and, and the color drained from his face. Is there, was there like a ghost molecule that ran through there? No, probably not. Was that experience undoubtedly real for him? Absolutely. And to me, that's like, that's where we miss it, right? Like we, we, we draw that's to, to the neuroscientist like Sam Harris or something. That's fake. That's a, an error in the brain. To me, that's more real than this desk that is just bullshit uh photons being bounced off some uh quantum structure it's mostly empty well, space, we could actually. even we could even make the <laughs> argument that you know as as several eastern traditions have about how all this material stuff's just an illusion too because it's just your mind perceiving this stuff you don't know that there's actually a desk there there's even neuroscience to prove that like too like there's neuroscientists who are like well wait a minute we only get in a small spectrum like they're not even consistent with their own um i dare say theology like materialist theology um but yeah like to me all these things like i think people make the mistake where it's like i'm going to capture a demon on camera i'm like well cameras don't have experiences they pick up photons that's it and if this thing doesn't isn't made of atoms and it doesn't reflect photons, then your mirrors and a camera lens aren't really going to probably pick it up. But you're definitely probably going to see it. And if that's hallucinatory or not, I don't know. I use hallucinatory as a um, often around skeptics, too, because it kind of disarms them. And it still well, I, leaves them I with got a question. curious, you know, because you're using that word. So I got curious and went into etymology online and uh, the origin of hallucinate is, um, the, although the original meanings might also include talk unreasonably or ramble in thought, the, the core of it also included dream and to wander in the mind. There you go. <laughs> so I hey. think that's really interesting because that, I mean, that fits with so many of our, of our spiritual experiences, I think, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it kind of, I feel like, um, what is that age old question? Is it all just in your head? And then, you know, you got the Lionel, not to drag on Malquette there. I can't, why I can't say his name. The Thelema dude. <laughs> um, you know, he says, you just don't know how big your head is. Like that's mm. no, like we don't know what even consciousness is right now. Right. Right. Like, yeah. So like, let's not even pretend like, is it all in your head? Probably not because we don't even know what your head is kind of deal i i it sounds a little stoner thoughtish more than i like it to be but <laughs> it's like to me it's not it's not even it's not a quite like it used to bug me right because i wanted it to be real real right because i came from that materialist background it has to be mm-hmm. real real mm-hmm. and i'll find it and now that i i've matured a bit in my practice i realize that it's not even a question worthwhile worth asking right if i go to the crossroads and the trees are forming into the shape of a horned creature in front of me and i feel like there's a predator on the perimeter of my protective circle that's enough i you know i went from oh bullshit a- break the circle <laughs> see if it's real <laughs> you know like i i went from i remember like that experience too where i kept trying to focus in on something like is that a deer and then I would try to stare at it and it would disappear. Like anytime I tried to focus in on that thing and that, that grot, like how can I hear a voice that I don't hear, but I could describe the qualities of said voice, right? Like I don't physically hear this with my head, but I hear like my ear, but I hear it in my head and it has qualities and it has things to it that I, you know, I don't know where they came from. I didn't, you know, the devil, like, I wish the devil to me was like more charming sometimes. Like, but no, it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre grovelly voice. It's, it's, I keep, I'm looking at trees that branches look normal, but now look like horns to me. Um, or like, I did some work with the restless dead. Do not recommend, (laughs) but you know, the better part of experimenting. And I remember standing, um, at that crossroads with my graveyard dirt and like, I, you know, I was doing the invocation and I stood up and for a brief moment, I was surrounded by wailing, like just these figures of immense pain and like, like, cause they were restless dead, like unfinished business, horrible deaths. And I could feel it bearing down. I didn't like the experience at all. Profound as it was, I do not recommend but like, where does that come from? Because before I was just standing at one out of the crossroads. ten. Do not recommend. Yeah, like I'm standing at a normal crossroads. I do something, and now I'm feeling an overbearing sense to mourn. And that was mm-hmm. the deal. I I spent I made a deal three days of mourning and praying for them for passage, for a message carried on to the underworld, to a loved one who had passed in a similar manner. Um, and I remember getting to that third day. And this is this is a good cross section. Is this just in my head? Is this real? On that third day, finishing that final prayer, um, my uh, cousin that I used to be really close with had uh, um, died of an overdose, left uh, three children behind, oh. and I could feel it. Like I and I had I felt compelled as like literally the family mystic that this needs to go, this needs to happen. And on that third day, I could feel the immediate like relief of it. Right. And um, it was bizarre to kind of go and talk to people about him passing and stuff and them feeling better about it, too. I didn't tell them what I did because it's way too awkward. Um, Sorry to lay it down heavy on everybody. I apologize. (laughs) No, no, this is good. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. 
And like doing that work, like people would go, well, that's just in your head and you're just getting confirmation bias. Like, does it matter? I was hurting. And now I don't hurt anymore. And that may sound selfish, but I also feel like he doesn't hurt anymore. And his kids don't hurt so much anymore. Like, obviously. And it's like, to me, that felt more important than deciding whether or not it was in my head or not. Like, and if, if the value is there, even if it's only psychological, that, that I feel like that's sufficient. And I definitely don't think it's more, more than psychology. I definitely think it's more than psychology, but what even is psychology? But it, those type of things where I talk about it, it's like, that's what I tried to explain on TikTok too. Is this all in your head? I don't know. Did that sigil get you a better job? Yes. Then who cares? Who cares? Your life's yeah, that's improved. Exactly, that's exactly where we land a lot of the times. Like I don't. You know, if I'm trying to explain a technique or journey work or something to somebody and they're like, is it all placebo? Is it all in your head? I'm like, I don't care. Like in that moment, like, and I, my, my standard is always like, I can doubt it before, I can doubt it after, I can analyze it, whatever. But in that moment, I've just got to go with it and, and go under the presumption it's real. I have to do that if I'm going to get results that are tangible. Absolutely. Um Absolutely. It also leads me to um, some of the foundations of Western magic. I'm following some Jake Stratton Kent thinking here, uh, wrote Geosophia. And he finds that the word Goetia, for example, relates to the word Gos in ancient Greece, which means uh, funeral howler. We're relating back then to handling the dead and ancestor worship. It was a job held exclusively by women at first, and they were professional funeral mourners. They helped restless dead pass. That's the root of Goetia. Like, you know, like it, it was originally a job of women who specialized in dealing with the dead necromancy. And um, and that that led to this outpouring of, you know, one of the most probably one of the most important Western magical magical traditions ever. The influence of Goetia is undeniable. It's where you get, you know, circles and spirit hierarchies and even to a lesser extent seals and sigils in a little bit like, you know, like we don't we didn't call them sigils back then. They were called uh, seals. But like all that, all that spawned out of um, these Thracian Greek, uh, proto-Greek, really. It's really a proto-Greek thing. But it's really this ancient Indo-European way of dealing with the dead. And then like, of course, these people who are doing it all the time discover, hey, you can do more than this. They can carry messages over there. And then that can be influenced here and right now. That's obviously where it led because Goetia went from being funeral hallower to sorcerer, um, you know, Gosa. Uh, Medea, for example, in the original Greek is this described as a gosia, which is um, which to them meant enchanter, but has its root word before, you know, we get to that Homeric period of Greece. You know, when we get back ancient, ancient, ancient linguistics there, we still get funeral howler. You know, Circe was considered an enchant- enchantress too, a gosia. So those characters are the continuation of that. And when we think of Medea too, um, uh, excellent with herbs, astrology, all those things. She's a credible, um, you know, that, that lineage there. And like, I think it's funny how misogynistic, uh, the Solomonic, um, uh, community can be sometimes. And there's certainly a lot of hardline traditional conservative members, uh, Mark Stavish, um, in the, in that community who, um, need a wake up call. Cause they think that, you know, their patriarchal society way of viewing things is the root of magic. And it's where, no, 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 it came from, these women who learned how to mourn correctly. That's the way I would describe it. These women, you know, back in the ancient times, like at least where we're pulling this particular magical tradition from came from women who knew how to mourn correctly. 
because because uh, the their job implies that just regular mourning wasn't getting the job done, and that's why you needed professional mourners, right? They knew what to do, especially if um uh the death was particularly violent or sudden or something like that. It's also where the Catholics get their saints from, Thracian hero cult worship. Uh, the Religion on Breakfast guy did a video, and I'm very upset because I had a video planned for that, but I was too lazy, and that idea found a new collaborator. <laughs> but Catholic saints, sainthood, is based off hero cult worship. Folk religion in Greece and in Thrace was not the Olympians all the time, but it was actually local heroes. And you went to their 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 gravestone or their shrine because, well, the, you know, gods don't really understand you as much as somebody who used to be alive, Right. And if you had a particularly violent death or heroic death, you were lauded as a hero. And you went and it was it's a form of ancestor. Is that not just a continuation of ancestor veneration? Oh, definitely. So, you know, like that's what saints are. I mean, Catholics don't know they're pagan, but I know they're pagan. (laughs) (laughs) Catholics sort of know they're pagan. Now, I think. They're just pagan adjacent, I think. Pagan adjacent. (laughs) You know, you know, there's a reason that Catholicism spread so more way easier, I think, than regular Protestantism. Oh, yeah. Like, because when you get into, yeah, when you get into like, um, because I, I actually had to grow up in this weird, not like it used to be a Mennonite church. That's where I grew up. I grew up around Mennonites and the Amish, although my family wasn't that way. But we went to their church, but their church like slowly morphed into this sort of non-denominational like it's like it like the the air it looked like a hospital waiting room like if i remember as a kid the church looked like a hospital it was so aggressively non-denominational by the time we left like it could have been a hospital waiting room <laughs> aggressively non-denominational is um use that i'm telling you because you you've been in that church i know you have <laughs> it has a particular uh, potluck smell too <laughs> yeah it's uh it's like chemicals mixed with pot roast yeah, it's a strange. Right. It's it's Hot I don't know and, and and new carpet kind of smell. It's and, kinda... I guess it's replacing the frankincense. I guess like it's a new right. different, different spirit to <laughs> bring into the house. Um, but yeah, I, I to me it's like that doesn't catch on as well as like when you're um, say African diaspora or something like that. Well, like those saints are, you know that. You know that. And in fact, um, the Cyprianic tradition, St. Cyprian, the, the Catholics up until 1970 had a patron saint of sorcerers. Yep. Cyprian of Antioch. Um, there, there's, uh, if you read uh, Jose Lido's work, there were African spirit workers in Portugal during the time that we get the books of St. Cyprian. And it looks like they took some of that back to Africa with them before it ever arrived in the New World. And so you find traces of that along the western coast of Africa and some and some other because like and they were so good. Like apparently the 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 spirit workers from uh, the African spirit workers were excellent because if you look at the Inquisition trial records, they would get charged with an error in faith. Not witchcraft, not they weren't. They will. First off, the Inquisition was more concerned about Jews. So it's a that's a big misnomer. People think they were burning witches all the time. Actually, it was more of a anti-semitic thing going on at first particularly in portugal maybe not in other places um but if you read his his statuses by ginsburg he covers a lot of that too like a lot of the anti-semitism that came with uh um witch hunts 
Um, and also kind of actually how so much uh, Hebrew influence fell into the occult. It's hard to figure out what the chicken and the egg argument there. Um, and unfortunately, it's something that I think modern occultism has a problem with admitting. But the reason that there's such a large Hebrew influence is not always because it's Christianized, but because like the Inquisition and the polemics written against Jews made them out to be sorcerers. And so if you're interested in magic, as a person legitimately interested in magic, you start becoming interested in Jewish mysticism. No, that's because because you've been told that. that they've been that way. Yeah. Like nobody thinks about it that way, but there's some evidence that like, you know, maybe in some case, like certainly the, the Inquisition was making some shit up to pin Jews. <laughs> they certainly there's definitely evidence of them making, you know, conveniently making some shit up. But, you know, because if you ask anybody who's uh, Jewish to look at the, the keys of Solomon, for example, or the Testament of Solomon, they go, that's not Jewish at all. That's not Jewish at all. That's not even close. <laughs> like how did King Solomon end up here? And it's, you know, it's hero worship and your indo-european hero worship they need somebody to get in there for it to work because saint cyprian in portuguese usually replaces solomon in the rest of northwestern europe most of northwestern europe use solomon as a um, christianized magical hero you know when you can't use jesus or moses you use solomon king solomon and there's a lot of legends around king solomon um the, the arabian tradition also has a lot of legends around king solomon and, you know, they describe him working with Jinn, which is their version. Oh, right. Of, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it's there. It's it's all there. So he becomes this magical hero. He replaces um, the pagan Merlin. He replaces other magical heroes conveniently because that's how um, and most people go. This is a forgery. Well, this makes this lets us know that it's fake or fraud. I'm like, no, that's how magic works. Like you need the the Jungian archetype. You need the. um you need that, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Especially um, Northwestern European magic, you always was relying on historical, like Arthurian, uh, Arthurian lore and legend, right? They need that hero. Like, mm-hmm. that's such a huge part of what they do. And it's all, you can relate it to that hero cult worship. You know, you need a Hercules. You need an Odysseus. You need those people because they, they lead you to the magic, the journey, that the, 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 the struggle with the gods, it, it's kind of weird that we're all telling that same story as far as I'm concerned. That's why I'm not such a hard polytheist and stuff. And I know people don't like that syncretism or that comparison. And I'm not trying to fall, draw false equivalencies. But we are. Like, is Odysseus not wrestling with the gods in his own pious way? In the same way that Jacob wrestled with God and the venom of God? And learning well, I, about I mean, I can, I can kind of see that from uh, uh, especially a, a more chaos magic viewpoint yeah because, that, that's definitely what because the the so much of magic is based off of having that really strong connection and visualization and emotion behind it and you become detached from these really old cultures and these really old heroes and so they don't have that proper fire for what you're trying to do you know like if i'm raised in 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 our culture and i want to work on certain magical skills i mean let's be honest uh visualizing obi-wan kenobi might work a lot better for me than visualizing solomon because i don't know what the hell solomon looked like yeah you know possibly honestly yeah, no, I and that's definitely a Phil Hine covered that in Condensed Chaos, and I did I page one ninety two paragraph like four. I it it <laughs> damaged me so much. It damaged me so. Much. I've told him I've told him on Twitter this. I literally said that page 
damaged me so much because <laughs> I got mad at it when I first read it. It took me a while to warm up to the idea. But then, you know, I, I started going like, you know, that Joseph Campbell, like we tell this story a lot. So maybe it is actually how it is on the other side, though. I think too, there's something uh, to the hero cultists um, by engaging in it. You borrow their power. Uh, whether you're talking about Odysseus or Obi-Wan Kenobi, by saying, I am in this tradition, the Solomonic tradition being a really big example of this, but also uh, calling the name of Telezin or calling on whether it's uh, Bragi the Skull or whatever, whatever the culture hero happens to be. Because on your own, like you were talking uh, earlier about how we do ancestor worship because we want to carry that knowledge forward. Well, this is a form of carrying knowledge forward. This power in their name is a form of carrying power and knowledge forward because on our own, I'm just, I'm just a lone little human, but now I've got this hero behind me and I have this ability to call them forth because I'm not just because in, in Solomonic magic, what are you doing? You're not just in your own power. You're in the power of God. Yeah, you're stepping, you know, then the the, uh, the 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 crown of Solomon, the ring of Solomon, the, these things that are really that people will say are key. You know, yeah. you're trying it's to not, step. It's not the ring of Sauron. It's not the crown. It's, it's not my crown. It's it's somebody else's. And I yeah, I remember we we see parallels to that. I think in at least I do in group rituals even right now. Like the four of us, we're going to do a ritual. If I'm filled with self doubt, I can always go. Sarenth has got this or Gaia sorcery or Caitlin, they've got this energy that I can believe in. So even in such a small setting, not even dealing with culture heroes or gods or spirits, just dealing with other humans, that's a way to bypass my own self doubts about some of the magic that I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. Or if you think about Gardner and uh, Cochrane, the both, the way they both approached ritual and stuff by crowning someone like, you know, the Lord, I can't remember now. I spent so long since I read children of Cain, which was Michael Howard's book on Cochrane and the, 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 the uh, clan of Tublacane, but like Cochrane, like for all the flaws that that man had, he was a brilliant uh, magician, witch, whatever, you know, spirit because, and even like everyone remarked after he was gone, like things fell apart because, but he was all about like having some figure, you know, step in the high priestess role, step, you know, the man in black role, like the, the, the one wearing horse, like you step into that role. Like you're not you anymore in that ritual. You're that thing. Um, you know, something recently I've been gotten into because of the John Chapman stuff, going back to that devil stuff is that I started, got really interested in Johnny Appleseed. Because we can go to the churches that the Swedenborgians built. You know, I can walk the path that Johnny Apples walked. Uh, fun irony here to all that, too. When I was a child, I was in a play and I wanted to be Johnny Appleseed. And I was so angry that I didn't get the role. And I have this I do have. And I remember like I would read I was a child reading books about Johnny Appleseed. And we had this uh, apple tree um, out near our trailer where I grew up. And I remember, is this a tree that maybe Johnny Appleseed played? I remember being a child and contemplating those things. And it's kind of funny how that's how magic and spirituality can work. Because if you pay attention, that pattern is in your life. And Johnny Appleseed uh, is a folk hero to me. He's an absolute, like, you know, like more of a, like I'm more fond of him as a weirdo now now that I know more about the Swedenborgians and they're talking to angels and, goofball stuff they were up to and like how weird they were now like it did not last that denomination is not really around anymore um but you know how many covens do you know last the test of time really too um 
I see that a lot when stepping into it. I, I kind of wish I could, uh, if I could do anything is like, I, um, not to rag on popular culture, but like what, what happened to our folk heroes, right? We're missing them in a lot yeah, of ways. They turned into actors and movie stars. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like actually heroes. How many anymore. followers do you have on TikTok? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we're missing something now. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. we're missing a part of, well, it, it's fake. It's, uh, uh, synthetic oh it's it's very yes, synthetic very very yeah. plastic very uh, plastic a hero cult comes out of circumstance and fate and the weaving of fate mm-hmm. and, and like they were destined by the gods to do this and when disney puts up a movie it's not it's it's like this was done for shareholder value and it's a different motivation <laughs> yeah we've gotten to the point where instead of actually having these sort of folk heroes arise and then eventually fall within our times we are stuck in the emulation phase of these former folk heroes we're still looking very far back in our history because like you said we're missing half of our history and even right now we're actively only writing down half of our history as we move forward there are folk heroes out there, but they're being forgotten and pushed aside for materialistic things and for the things that we watch on TV or create on TikTok or, you know, whatever. We don't actually have physical folk heroes like Eric the Red from the the Norse sagas. We don't have those anymore. And so those folk heroes are so far removed from where we are at today that it's easier to observe them through the lens of a camera than it is to actually observe them through the lens of our own eyes to actually bring that energy and spirit within us to emulate them. I mean, you can, you absolutely can, and you should, it'll give you strength to what you need to do, but how do we return to emulating our heroes instead of burning them? Well, I, I was just contemplating that as you're speaking, I'm wondering, did we trade folk heroes for information? Is it too difficult to have folk heroes in an age where there's so much information and we can so readily see their flaws? Um, in some cases, I would say there is a case that I have of some folk heroness that came out recently. I don't, I don't like the circumstance that it came out, but in the Ukraine, it, it's the war is still raging, the civil war is still raging. They have the Day of the Cyborgs. The Cyborgs are a group of young men who held the Donetsk airport um, under crazy circumstances they they all lost their lives but they were able to hold it for a period of time and i think to allow another unit to get the safety it, it's considered a national like they're they celebrate the day now in the last couple of years and like that's a version like sadly of how a folk hero also comes to be is um you know you need sometimes that type of event and like it, also there's that like you know are we willing to pay the price of comfort sometimes to um maybe have those folk heroes or acknowledge them because sometimes there's there's definitely an aversion in American culture to uh, not acknowledge that type of folk heroism, right? Like I was recently, I remember on TikTok, I did a video about um, John Brown, John Brown and Harper Ferry and everything, right? And I had a bunch of young people tell me they didn't know who the hell he was. I'm like John Brown is like an abolitionist folk hero. I grew up yeah, learning about. John Brown. Yeah. Like he's a folk hero. I mean, the, in the circumstances in which he died led to the civil war. Like Mm -hmm. it's, there's no, like, you know, they, the South was scared of more John Browns. He 
performs in its weird way. He performed a sense of magic, much like a uh, Nat Turner. They were scared of that shit and they didn't want those heroes happening, you know? And now we don't talk about them because it's uncomfortable history. We don't want to face that history. Americans don't want to look at that history anymore. It's specifically like, cause that it means acknowledging a lot of different things that a lot of different people don't want to acknowledge. Well, um, and I think, he was also sort of pushed to the wayside because of what he stood for. You know, he was like the Jesus of the modern day America at the time. He was a rabble rouser. He fired people up. He went around the United States and got people angry about what he was angry about and spread the word through the word of God to say, no, it says all men, not just white men. It says all men are created equal. All men deserve life. All men and use that as his rhetoric. And then, you know, to keep us divided and to keep us quiet is easier to control us and to get us to go where we want to go. He threatens power structures. Absolutely. That's precisely why Martin Luther King's messages are neutered. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yet another, I mean, and they they intentionally set him up as the saintly hero versus Malcolm X. Like, Malcolm X wasn't fighting for the same fucking thing. Right. Oh, no, he was the bad one. Like, bullshit, people. Come on. (laughs) Absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, as long as as we're we're cutting him down to just a couple of speeches, letters from Birmingham jail, and I have a dream, we can ignore all the other shit he was talking about, which actually really probably was what got him killed, was organizing labor and fighting for equality on every arena. Absolutely. Because that's what our culture has done, in a sense, to the the folk heroism and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's, 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 I don't know, it's really strange. And I I think, oh, I also have a lot of hope because, like, I don't see Hollywood, I hate saying it like that, like, oh, Hollywood. (laughs) Like, it sounds so, it sounds so bad. But I, their stranglehold on culture and the way we view storytelling and myth is slipping like how many kids rather watch tiktok or youtube than what's coming out in theaters how Mm. many people are like i am vastly more interested in my youtube feed than i am than the television absolutely in every way shape or form um and i think i think the reason for that is is that we're also hungry now for something that's more real like hearing a story about johnny appleseed when I was a child felt more real than watching a historical Hollywood flick about Robin hood. Mm-hmm. It felt more real because it was where I was at and stuff. Right. And uh, the algorithms, the way they work, they go by your location data. This might mm-hmm. be them shooting themselves in the foot. You may see the rise of new folk heroes because now they can't suppress their stories. They're everywhere. Once it's on the internet, it's on the internet forever. You don't, it doesn't go away. You could delete it as many times as you want. That's on someone's hard drive somewhere and they're going to put it right back up. (laughs) So this is actually a really interesting phenomenon that we can see clearly with creatures like Slenderman. Um, We watch it get created. We know where it comes from. And yet people are experiencing it in real time as something that is real. And it's on the internet. It's not, it's not ever going to die. Yeah. It's, it's, it's made its impact. <laughs> and I mean, Slenderman's just the most accessible example I can think of, but I mean, now you've got people who are crafting entire reams of stories about uh, beings that are beneficent. 
Um, I think the, uh, uh, the, the Tumblr thread is uh, the God of Argo or something like that. And it's this really beautiful, simple God whose story kind of un- unrolls in this Tumblr thread and people are adding to it. And, you know, what's, what's the difference between a God who is remembered versus a God that's not remembered? Well, that, that God lives in the imagination, lives in the consciousness, lives in some fashion through the stories. Absolutely. And now our ability to, the, the ability to storytell has never been more democratized in a lot. Like there, there's some hope here. Like I'm not always, I'm not the biggest, like it's ironic because I work in it professionally, but like the more I've actually become spiritual, the more sometimes I'm turned off by some technology too. Like I'm definitely afraid of algorithms, like, cause they're, they're blind idiots. I, they, they're demiurges to me. They're archons. They're like, you know, they're, they're something not, uh, to give you a great example, like uh, Facebook ran into a problem with their algorithm by making Facebook addictive. Did they aim to make Facebook addictive? No, they were just playing with an algorithm for engagement. The algorithm is not a thinking thing, but it was given a task that it can enact upon. How do I keep people engaged? Well, it found a way. Nobody's more engaged than an addict. That's and that's what they discovered. Then it's not like they like Zuckerberg sat down. It's like, I'm going to make digital heroin. Like, you know, he's not that creative. Let's be honest. (laughs) But I mean, he did say when I was human. So, yeah, he might be the algorithm itself. Might be, you know, might not be in the pilot seat. (laughs) Well, or maybe he is and he's he's the energetic vampire that's sucking all the energy from us. And that way he can continue to live. Yeah. I mean, I have some. But at the same time, like I said, though, I am like kind of kind of excited though because like i think they go oh we've got them now and then like the collective tr- troublemakers that we all can be they go nope <laughs> you know no. it's, it's the barbara streisand effect it, and like that that thing can be applied to almost anything anytime that that like governments or big tech is like no don't do that no don't, don't do that like we just go now we're gonna do it harder <laughs> I mean, honestly, we're all four-year-olds deep down. You tell a kid not to do something, they're going to do it. Yeah, like, you know, there's a little bit of Lucifer in all of us, right? (laughs) Like, there's a little bit of rebel in all of us. Like, don't do that. Like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Never, like, um, uh, I always result to uh, Lucifer, Satan, and Paradise Lost. Because the lines on that are, like, it came up recently. Um, for some reason, but like, what though the field be lost, all is not lost. The unconquerable will, the study of revenge, immortal hate, the courage to never submit or yield. What is else not to be overcome? That glory that never shall his wrath or might extort from me. That particular line there, that glory never shall his wrath or might extort from me. It is the, the quintessential rebel right there. I, you can't control me. I'm free, right? Because that's the story of Lucifer. He's an angel. And if you look at angelology, they're not, they don't have free will. They're, they're literally part of God. They're the, but one, one in particular goes and takes a bunch with him. No, no. And yeah, he gets cast down to hell, right? And he's looking upon like the, you know, he misses, he, he laments the loss of the celestial plane. But then he finally says that glory never shall his wrath or might extort from me. It, it is the ultimate rebellion like no matter how angry god is at him no matter how no matter how mighty he is he will never take this sense of glory this ability to rebel against him you know away from me 
And they're I, that's in all of us. That's the that's the apple to me. Like this is me using heresy to to deconstruct authority because like Christ, Christianity in the Western sense, especially is all about authority. Got to follow the rules, render on the Caesar, all that stuff. Well, the 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 flip side of that. And, I, and I'm not really a Satanist. I don't I don't know. It feels a little too polemic to me. To me, the the subversive nature of using the Bible and Christianity and those forms of authority is to find it in between the lines. Well, what frees Adam and Eve? What frees them to be themselves? Well, taking the apple. Being in paradise, you're not. They weren't thinking. They didn't even know they were naked. They didn't even know they were naked, right? They they were so unconscious. Like, they were literally unconscious. To get the apple, to taste the apple. The, The big crime here is to become conscious, to become aware that you're naked, to become aware of the pain around you, become to become something more. And then, like that like Milton un- it, this is a funny unconscious thing Milton's trying to write a poem about the war of heaven and hell and stuff like that paradise lost you know he's trying to write a pro-christian thing right he ends up making Satan the most beloved character in the entire like you can't read paradise lost and not like Satan you you he's charming he's he's uh you know it's like it's he's the underdog he's, he's human he's human. how do you relate to God you can't <laughs> but you can relate to Lucifer and and he has that bit of us everywhere he's like oh you tell me not to well now I'm gonna do it harder <laughs> and never better to be, reign in hell yeah better yeah like those type of things like um again this is using uh mythic language to empower ourselves and I, I sense a lot of that in the way we rebel naturally especially on the internet authority like big tech the government the censors those type of things we just go no we're just gonna get uh, you know harder and harder about it like you know and become more and more indigent about things um sometimes these uh doesn't always manifest the way we want like being indigent about getting vaccinated is kind of silly but you know (laughs) um nobody said that it was going to be all sunshine and rainbows right like sometimes you know we have to accept the world as it is so you're right about like big tech and big media and stuff though because like i I automatically think like as soon as every time a new streaming service comes out peacock is going to come out and they're going to only charge you uh, 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 we'll just pirate it it's fine i mean like how many people have said that about how many shows (laughs) well i mean like they shot themselves in the foot with this whole thing because the entire point of streaming services was because it wasn't supposed to turn into cable. And now it's fucking turned into cable. Good job. Uh, you have you have created the very monster you wanted to destroy. <laughs> uh, again. It, Good job, you fucking idiots. Capitalism's biggest enemy is capitalism. I'm convinced. Like that's just kind of actually how it 100%. Works. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. My own tail. That's fucking tasty. <laughs> I'm gonna have a little more tail as a treat. Yeah, you know what's well, the, the? Oh my Gnostic, god! The the Gnostic blind idiot god, like who keeps doing dumb stuff in spite of itself. Like what? What is? What does the Gnostic um, demiurge have to do to? Like it just has to acknowledge that that Sophia is his mom and that you know there's a god above him. But what does he remain? No, I'm a blind, jealous idiot. Like he literally says it, like in one of the Gnostic scriptures. I am a jealous god. Well that implies there's other gods. Like you've already shot yourself in the foot. Like, but that's how that <laughs> thing acts. That's what the Gnostics were discovering is like authority acts that way. Cause like um practically almost every emperor king everywhere has always shot themselves in the foot. Like oh, we swear. I think yeah I think we have Marcus Aurelius mm-hmm. Which is like the one like poor Plato too is like we need a philosopher king and then he got a stoic. 
like a joyless stoic. <laughs> like, I'm sure Plato was rolling around in his game. Like I wanted a philosopher king, but a better philosophy. Jesus. That does definitely happen. How many people went? Well, if we put a businessman in the presidency, that'll shape up the nation. <laughs> Yeah, if yeah. only they listened to Michigan when we tried that shit. Ah, uh, you know, there was a period of time though where I, I, I got the we sat with the ridiculousness of if we have a reality TV star president, idiocracy was right. Like that was prophetic. Oh yeah, yeah. He's literally, <laughs> literally was on a wrestling show. Yeah, yeah. Literally, literally. yeah WWE Hooked Hall up with of a Fame star. Member. You know, like they, they like. Well, I, like Mike Judge, we should be blaming Mike Judge for that hyper sigil that he accidentally made. Yeah. Like, yeah, if no, you think about it. I don't like it. to blame the prophet, though. <laughs> <laughs> I do divination. I don't like it when people blame the prophet. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, that's the, that's the, um, that's the archetype of the prophet, though. You know, he suffers like that's prophets suffer. Like, you know, you think anyone liked Isaiah when he was like, oh, you guys got to stop hanging out with all those pagan Sumerians. This place Isaiah is was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, um I, you mind if we take a little side trip? I do, as Go long as we're it. talking about profits. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask, because uh, it was one of those things that in a past episode, I tried to kind of explain a little bit to Caitlin and Sarah the, uh, about what you were doing divination-wise with some of your tarot readings, and I, I I, can't. So could you explain it a little bit? Because maybe I could, maybe you. it's better from you than from me. Okay, so I use a Marcy deck, um, which has pip cards, not um, regular pictorial cards like the Rider Waite. Um, and I learned this method from Camellia Ellis. So I really owe it to her. The, she called it a cunning folk method. So Camellia Ellis is, a, you know, um, God, I can't remember the name of the book. I think it's just the Tarot of the Marcy or whatever. But she uses just the major arcana to start. So first, it's the major arcana. Lay down three major arcana cards. That gets us our first kind of like tableau. Um, now we want to see. All right. So now we sort of have the story. But let's figure out who's involved in the story. And that's where you get the court cards. So then you start like, so the, um, the Corrient, you have to start asking, well, who's kind of like the queen of swords to you? And you describe the queen of swords and they find who in the situation would most likely be the queen of swords. So we move the queen of swords where she fell between the major themes. So the major arcana is the themes and the major events. The court cards are the individuals involved with those major events. The pip cards are the actions those individuals are taking. You can do it. You can just do the major arcana and get a lot. But if you want to get down like, you know, the nitty gritty, that's when you bring in the court. So, you know, the courts, you know, over, you know, being a part of the event of what's happening at court. And then we want to see the actions. Right. So, like, if we pull out the nine of swords, for example, like we go, oh, betrayal. <laughs> you know, you know, if we pull like the two of ones, it's like, oh, they're going to, you know, try to outsmart you. You know, they're going to, you know, you we go through those and what those cards mean. And like, you can use those pips to kind of get an idea of how these actions are going to take. So that's the divination method. Um, yeah. Like that's just how I really like the method and it, it, it tend to, um, I had a lot of luck with it. Like I had a writer weight Smith. And then I ended up using the cards as um, for, for magic because I just can't, I just couldn't do uh, the writer weight Smith Coleman like deck. Like I just, I just, didn't it just didn't ring for me sadly it just was one of those things i also own a thoth deck um but to quote uh another person i heard talk about the thoth deck it's like do you have to be so mean like my <laughs> thoth deck is just so 
Ah, uh, it's it's like trying to read cards with Eeyore or, you know, uh, 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 an, an edgy Eeyore, especially not only you're like down, but you're kind of like, I don't know, um, someone. Yeah, it's just like you're so funny. I, I've thought about getting the Thoth deck for a while because it's almost um, the exact opposite of the Starman Tarot, which I like a lot, like a lot of web. There's a, one website in particular that really compares the Starman Tarot to the Thoth. And the the Starman drew a lot of information from similar similar areas, but the Starman tarot is like so fucking positive. We're recreating ourselves. We're gonna do a David Bowie and reinvent ourselves. It's fantastic. And I, I kind of want to have both so I could just see how they contrast each other sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, the thought I would describe as like nothing but towers. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oops, <all> towers. <laughs> well what i liked about your readings is um like when you were laying down the major arcana they weren't it wasn't necessarily about the card's exact meaning and it wasn't even necessarily like in this order we're going left to right it was for for a lot of the ones that i watched you do it was a lot more like here's the three cards what is the story of these three cards and if that meant you had to shift their order around or whatever. That was fine. I saw you do that a couple of different times. Like we, to, to, to understand this, it seems like we need to switch these cards around. Is that yeah. like, so is it more story based for you? Would you say? Well, or? Yeah, because we live in narratives. We are narrative creatures, right? Um, mm-hmm. And narratives are rarely cut and dry narratives. Um, you know, you can Tarantino a narrative. Like sometimes your readings Tarantino. You you're getting the ending before you're getting the beginning, and you have to have the knowledge. And like one thing I do when I read for people, and I, I plan to do this. Like I I, I hate talking about things sometimes because even <laughs> dare I said I I have a therapist who's kind of like very rational type guy, right? But even he's like, well, jinxes are real for sure. Like it was so funny to <laughs> coax that out of him. <laughs> Half my ah. therapy is just messing with my therapist, I think. Uh, <laughs> like, like he, <laughs> and, That's um, awesome. and like, even he, and like, but like when I read for people and like, and it's something I really noticed about myself is like, you know, people like skeptics will say, well, you're cold reading. I'm like, of course I am. How I need to get what's happening to them. It's their narrative. I need to know things about them. Right. And I need to sometimes coax things out of them that they don't know I'm trying to know about them. Um, and that's actually one of the things that made me stop wanting to do divination because I did a few divinations where like the things I was seeing, I didn't know. I did not want to talk about with an audience like that was the one thing that like like this is not entertainment <laughs> right now for this person. Like and it's more than just pulling up a tarot like a tower. Right. Like it's more than just that. Like, oh, the nameless arcanum, the death card. I, 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 you know, I'm not worried about that or the tower, but you know, like that fool's journey. Someone tell me they're having trouble at work and I pull the fool. Uh, (laughs) Like how's your resume, my man? (laughs) Right. That's not, you're not saying, oh, you're about to embark on a new part of your career is such a, um, like sugar That's coat of you're terrifying. about to get shit canned and you're going to go on a whole new journey. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I've just, we just mentioned about? this in front of 10,000 people on a TikTok or, you yeah, know, I don't, just, 
it's not to me that's like i was like and um i made a video on my youtube um not trying to plug my youtube because i barely update it um we can get on that too if you want like why you should I barely... fucking plug your youtube <laughs> i um, like but, your youtube <laughs> but yeah it was uh i did the whole thing is about like is fortune telling ethics i'm stuck in an ethical quandary here because am i part of the weaving of fate the 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 um the three fates i you're here i'm here <laughs> Uh, the tapestry wove to this point. Anything I say and do to you is affecting the weaving of that tapestry going forward. How much am I responsible? They sat for down. Yeah, they sat down. The, there's a part of me that goes like, if I tell someone about this, that hey, you got the fool. Yeah, how's work going? You got the fool came up, and I'm like, I'm I'm gonna have to tell you about this. But am I also there? You know, the manifest it that I plant the idea in their head and they manifested it, and that's why fate came out that direction. I don't know. Um, well, goddamn Oracle. Yeah, you know. Like, What's really going to bake your noodles? Did I play a part in that, right? And, you know. So, one thing that I actually tell people that I read for is, like, time is not linear. There are many different branches that it can go off of in different areas. And I am literally picking up one thread of one potential future that you could possibly walk down. I said, whether or not you manifest that future because of this reading is up to you. I'm giving you an idea of what this path right here that you're currently on has the potential to look like. Now you have the ability to change whether or not that outcome is actually going to happen. So just because I you got a reading from me and I tell you, oh, yes, you're going to get that job that you've always wanted and then you never go out and fill out the interview or follow Absolutely. up with the interview or do your research to find the job that you actually want. You did not manifest that future. At that point, it's on the person. It's not on my fault. It's not my fault. You know, I said, if you follow these paths, take these steps. Yes, you'll get that job that you want. Yeah, I, I would sometimes split the narrative too. like I'd get to a point and then like, let's lay down two cards. This is if you go this way, this is like you're going to hit that, like hitting that crossroads, especially when you see something like that. You're getting because um, there's uh, Maximus. Go. <laughs> Sorry, cat. <laughs> Sorry, audience. My cat jumped in front of the camera. We're trying to it's keep eye contact here. <laughs> but like if I feel that crossroads coming up, I lay down two major arcana. So usually you see the three. Well, if I get one, two and I'm like my intuition's telling me crossroads, 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 or fork in the road, fork in the road. It's two major arcana are coming out because now I'm seeing that this person's definitely going to be at that weaving of fate. And, you know, that sister's wondering where that thread's going to go. And, you know, there there was a, the ethical quandary I have is like, how much do I play a part in how these people are going to make actions after I say something? And, you know, like, and then I talked about for entertainment value only, like that's, this is not, I can't, I can't put that to my name. Cause like, if this is a major life event or if I'm looking at something that says, Hey, maybe you should go to the doctor. Like I'm not a medical professional. I'm not going to give you medical advice. I can't ethically or in morally, like morally, I'm not a doctor, but I'm reading something in the cards. That's like telling me, you know, I'm getting the intuition that maybe you need to visit a doctor. Like, you know, like I, I need you. I'm, I'm ethically bound to say something, but the skeptic would go, you can't do that. And, you know, some people even in the terror community will be like, you can't do that. 
And then I remember getting into an argument with somebody in the tarot community about like, I'm not a therapist either. Don't be treat like tarot is not a replacement for therapy. I am not trained. I'm not going to train myself for crisis management or nothing. I'm not going to do it because I'm a fortune teller. I'm doing my fortune telling duty. Um, go see the, go see someone who's capable and focused and all that. Cause I'm not going to mix your therapy up with my cards, <laughs> you know, you know, maybe, and you know, there's a lot of things like, what if your cards tell you that your therapist suck? <laughs> happened to my wife right and i'm like and i'm like i'm like oh shit how do i tell her like right you know what part am i playing in that and it's like i was filled with so many damn ethical quandaries about what was appropriate for me to do and stuff like i find reading for other people difficult um not because i don't want to get in trouble i could care less about getting into trouble it's me um but like morally like the virtue of being moral and honest and open which, you know, leads to another uh, another reason why I didn't like TikTok is that it was more advantageous to throw your virtues out the window, do things for the for the likes, the, the follows. Right. Um, and I found something out very quickly about myself. Um, the Stoics say virtues are sufficient for happiness. And I like it. I'm not sure if that's true, but I know being unvirtuous definitely makes me unhappy. When I feel my virtues are slipping, when I'm not being courageous, when I'm not being moral, when I'm not being honest, I am deeply unhappy. I don't know if, you know, happiness is the opposite of unhappy, but, you know, I don't know how to achieve happiness through virtue, really. I'm just not good at it yet, but I'm not a stoic. Um, but on the flip side, I know lacking virtue is a definite way to make yourself unhappy. Um, you know, that's and so that's one of those things that's sticky about me like doing the TikTok social media thing because it's it's hard to maintain your virtue when there's uh, a lot of pressure to lose those things um i don't think a lot of creators set out to do that i just think you know i mean it's addictive like those likes were addictive like my favorite part waking up in the morning before nicotine or caffeine or even the chemical dependency of seeing if people really dug my video the other night Mm -hmm. was so strong and so intoxicating and powerful and it's like and i was willing to do more and more for it like and there was this thing like where i think like one of the things that i do or i promised myself when i started making content online is that i'm not going to talk about things with the confidence that I don't actually have for it. If I give someone like, if I teach someone how to do sigils, I'm very confident that this is probably going to turn out for them in some way. I'm like, I'm going to be dead sure about it. Am I going to start sharing something that I'm not confident about? No, because I, I see that. I see that a lot. I mean, you could, I, I, I'm not going to invoke names, but you can read that in some of magical literature that people are just, they're tight. They're just making stuff. Like I, I, they may work, but I, I feel like it never really left the theoretical stage, but they're stating it as it did. Cause like I read some of that. I'm like, did you really test this? So in order to test the crossroads operation with the devil, it took me months. It took me a whole summer. It took me from spring to summer to the end of summer to, to get a, a good result out of it. Cause it had to be refined. I had to get used to it. I had to memorize things. I had to put myself there. Not that uh, a ritual won't work out the gate, but I was building one from scratch. And it definitely didn't work very well from the start. Oh, God, it was so dumb. <laughs> just, um, it was based <laughs> off uh, John S. Seymour wrote a story about a young Irish lass that was accused of stealing some silverware. And so she, she, the lord of the house, 
she she bets it's like i didn't steal it i didn't steal it but i can find who stole it and so if you if you give me a chance i shall raise the devil and he and i will convince the devil to tell me who stole the silverware she does it they let her do it and i followed a bit of like a lot of her operation because well here's the thing about the story she found the silver she found the person who stole it they recovered the silverware and she got away with it no inquisition no no arrest and in fact, she got approached like she she got a caught later about something and got off too. She got away with it. That was the reason I chose her operation. Faust didn't get away with it. Faust fucked up. He's dead. Blew up in his lab. This Irish slash that we'll never know the name of. She was so wise, so quick, so capable. She got away with it. She got, <laughs> they, they, I think she did get caught. Like, hey, you're the girl that raises the devil. And she's like, oh, yeah, but I learned it from this other guy. Go get him. And then she disappears. That's that's according to the legend. Like she just, nope. you know, that's the that's the real witch. That she, the, the the sometimes the real witch is the witch you never heard of because she was she was flying under the radar. She was getting away with things, um, and that's why I was so inspired by her. And I remember at the end of it, like threatening the devil by throwing goose feathers at him, at handfuls of goose feathers that I was throwing out of the circle to try and get it to appear like i will see you and i'm like i'm doing like a solomonic style like it's just so dumb and then i just remember standing on the edge with all like i i spent so much money on goose feathers (laughs) and they're just i'm just like and they were like at least they were biodegradable i mean that's the upside (laughs) um but yeah that was uh that was i dropped that part of the operation because it didn't get me anywhere um other Honestly, parts. my brain immediately went to uh, hear sleep in your goose downy comfort, yeah. asshole, as you're just chucking handfuls of feathers at the devil. <laughs> I'm Sorry, picturing the- somebody out at a crossroads at midnight just destroying a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I chose goose feathers is because goose quills were used to write illuminated manuscripts of scripture. So yeah. it felt like something that would be a threat. It was not a threat. It was kind of like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I I, well, the, I can just see how you would throw like a handful of feathers. Like you can't throw. No, they feathers. don't fly very far. <laughs> no, you can throw them as angrily as you want, but they're going to go about a foot out and stop and then drift beautifully to the ground. And you're just yeah. like, that's not at all. She used, I, I didn't have it, but she used feathers from a black rooster. Which is, you know, standard for the thing. But was like, that's why I was throwing feathers. But then it's just like, that was probably a cultural thing at the time. Which leads me to, like, that's a whole other conversation about grimoires and traditional magic. It's like, those exist within the culture. Things change, right? I don't, like, people give, like, um Oh, the grimoire. Black Rooster thing makes total sense to me. Oh, that, yeah. That, that makes total sense. Especially if it's a black one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what, according to the story, right? Like, but that's how we get the story, too. But I didn't have access to a black rooster. I mean, I know where one is in the city, but I don't want to hop a fence. Like, I don't. <laughs> I was, come on. Don't you want to do it the traditional way? Don't you want to summon the devil the traditional way? Come on. Well, you, you know, here's the funny part. While I was mulling that over, I was going to a metaphysical shop in my town. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going through one of the neighborhoods, like, and I'm thinking of the operation, I look to my left and there's this person with a chicken coop in their backyard. And there's a black rooster, full black rooster, just staring at me. It was like the, 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 the synchronies that you will get sometimes when you're about to endeavor into things are just astounding. Cause I really, and I kept thinking, 
could I ask them? Like, do you have, like, I was, I was tempted to knock on their door and like, Hey, can I have some feathers? Do you have extra feathers from that black rooster? Like I collect that. You know, I was, I was thinking, of, I just didn't have the um, fortitude to do it. There's <laughs> uh, like, I just did like my there's social like a, awkwardness. Like just there's like a black me. rooster restaurant in Orlando. I'm picturing you with a bunch of branded napkins. Just <laughs> <laughs> You never know. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not as crazy as the guys who write letters to uh, convicted, uh, condemned men trying to get them to swear osophility to them. That's a thing. There's an operation in the discovery of witchcraft by Scott um, where you find a condemned man, a man destined to die, and get him to swear an oath to you that they will serve you in the afterlife. And then you go to their grave after they die, summon them into a crystal, and you use that to summon a fairy's queen. It, um, so it's just you're piling bad ideas on top of each other as well. Well, you know, like Scott wrote that as a polemic <laughs> against witchcraft, and then people used it as a manual to do witchcraft. That's the that's the irony of the you discovery. You can't tell of me what to do. You, well, like again, ideas will seek collaborators, and maybe an idea, particularly like witchcraft, needs to re-enter. And it can't find like the way it wants to go. So it'll come another direction. Like we always talk about how magic doesn't manifest always how we expect. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the magic on their side doesn't always manifest how they expect. But if you get the result, you get the result. Who cares that someone wrote this witchcraft book as a polemic against witchcraft? People picked it up and used it as a manual um, verifiably. <laughs> that's that's what happened. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church tried to stamp out magic. The clerical underground kept the grimoire tradition alive. It's it's ne- that glory never shall his wrath or might extort from me. <laughs> um, which, which is like Azazel and Shimyaza in the Book of Enoch teaching uh, teaching man all these things that he wasn't supposed to teach him, right? Like that's what happens for because uh, it's before Noah and stuff like that, and you know the flood use. But that book ends up becoming a blueprint for people to do magic and find out about these things. Like, again, the glory of rebellion against the restrictions. Like, it's one of those uh, yin yang. <laughs> it sounds like such a stoner thought. But when you actually pay attention to this structure, it's like the, the whole thing's been structured a certain way and we're all engaged with it in some way, shape or form. Um, to finish that story, though, I find that Solomonic methods, as much as I respect them, I'm just not... Uh, it's just not, not how myself and the spirit world actually interact. That's just, but I do actually respect it though, in some way, just, and don't get polemic about it because people get insanely polemic. Oh, they're treating demons badly. I'm like, well, yeah, because it came from exorcisms because demons were possessing people. Like, let's let's not mince ties here. Well, demons are nice to me. Well, maybe they're nice to you. <laughs> they're not your boys, I'm, though. I don't, these conversations are leading me. I'm just thinking about like the fact that ideas go from one person to the other. So does that mean, and, and based off of our earlier conversation, that that dream that you were telling about that other person has, so does that mean on some other plane, there's an idea that's casting a spell to get itself into the material realm. And it was aiming for some producer in LA, but ended up getting some blogger in Cleveland. I mean, like, is this yeah. how it works? Like the ideas are refining their magic. I it wouldn't surprise me when you sit back and think about it. It adds um, a very, we, we would say it adds a human element to them, but what if that's just 
how the universe is like i I hate it upg's treated as a dirty word but i i I would meditate generally like well what's out there we know what's on earth we're we're used to our earthly way but it was what's out there like do asteroids have spirits inhabiting them and i remember asking that question really hard and then just being kind of getting this kind of really imaginative vision of these like long gated spirits hopping from asteroid to asteroid over impossible distances because they're really far apart actually they're not like asteroid belts in the movie but i got this sense that the whole thing's haunted everywhere right like i i am so excited about the space race in a lot of ways and a lot of people get upset about rich guys and space tourism and stuff but let's put an occultist up there let's go put a witch up there and have her start conjuring i want to see what she sees like i want to know what she experiences because i bet you it's going to be out of this like truly out of this world like right i've always yeah i'm with you i always i always contemplated like if we send someone to mars and they do a grounding technique on mars will that just make them violently angry or these are the things i wonder about yeah or Or, like alien or would it just be alien to them and but it would be so different from the usual experience that they have on earth that it would just be you know it'd be so i don't know go ahead sorry caitlin i was just gonna say would they be more like the the flip side of the angry the people that get like stoic and super calm but are super scary when they're angry you know what what side are we gonna see when they come out of mars but i honestly oh (laughs) I'm sorry, you guys. I've been up since 5.15 this morning because my brain hates me. So I'm like super tired right now. And uh, I've had a few thoughts race through my brain because that's what tired Caitlin brain does. It's awesome. Let me tell you what. Um, But the first thought was uh, the universal hive mind is terrible at darts. And although it doesn't actually hit its intended target... (laughs) It still hits an appropriate target. And sometimes that target has to throw the dart back at the universal hive mind going, no, I don't want this. Mulligan. Get <laughs> <laughs> call for a mulligan. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I got stuck on the space is haunted comment. Well, the just, just space ghosts. That's all there are space. Yeah. Space ghosts. Like it's all, it's all yeah. haunted. Um, well, I mean, there was shadow run where the, the, shaman and people who could and magicians who could enter astral space would go mad if they went into orbit because they were away from protection of Gaia. Wouldn't surprise. Well, you know, this is an interesting, I hate to um, (laughs) HP Lovecraft. I don't know if we have to cover all the uh, little (laughs) asterisks that always come with HP Lovecraft. Guy was supposedly a devout atheist, suffered terribly from nightmares. When you read about some of his nightmares, they're insanity. He had a nightmare of floating up above the earth and being tossed around by these evil, twisted, tentacle-like creatures. Like, all his stories came from this unintentional shaman, I think. I think um, a lot of his xenophobia his his ardent atheism and stuff is like his candle in the light like his candle in the darkness for these horrible things that he was experiencing because if you've ever read hp lovecraft's horror like the hound or i can't remember the one where it ends up like the point of view that you're actually reading from is the monster and it's the monster finding out it's the monster and how horrifying that truly the guy was so used to living in horrific circumstances he was also uh supposedly like there's a it seems like he was also gay um, too, in, a, in an environment where being gay was bad. He was suffering in so many ways and experiencing so many things that is literally being like, sh- like 
his soul is being disfigured by the things he's experiencing. And like, when you think about how the Cthulhu mythos, um, a lot of people write a lot of things, right? Like there, the sheer amount of fantasy novels and sci-fi novels out there is staggering, right? Not many have the cultural imaginative impact of Cthulhu. And sure enough, like to me, like it's one of those things Like we can go back to Phil Hine and like, let's talk about like when I, when people talk about pop culture pantheons and stuff, I really actually take HP Lovecraft's mythology a little bit out of it because like, there's something so um, the seed of that just, it's like a type of real, like, like it's like accidentally touching real. And when you look at, when you read it, the descriptions and see the ar- artistic renditions of his old ones. And then you think about biblically accurate angels there, the, the similarities yeah. Yeah. are, yeah, the similarities are there and he's pulling these things from his dreams. And as a person, humble brag, met an angel in a dream, <laughs> uh, you know, like, but probably who hasn't, I'm sure everyone's like ran across one, but I remember looking at something that was a, uh, to describe it, it was a Mobius strip of eyeballs. So I'm like, I'm see, it looks like a cylinder, but if I try to look around it to get to the back end of the cylinder, that cylinder expands out. Like it's, it's infinite. And, um, physical pain upon trying to remember what it looks like. Cause it's so, um, and just that, that experience alone really actually really cemented that idea of the weird crap that's, you know, that in that sphere of things, right? Like what else is out there? Um, so I'm not so sure about the Abrahamic lore about what angels are exactly or stuff like that. But are they a thing? Like, is there something out there like that that we definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I've definitely had the visionary experience of like the pyramid of eyeballs. Um, I, I've, I've talked to people and they've seen the pyramid of eyeballs, too. <laughs> like the. Uh, oh, the time wisdom. knife. Yeah, we've, we've all seen it. Yeah, I've had my I had my wisdom teeth pulled out. And um, uh short story I, I have a family that has an, uh, a history of terrible addiction to opioids and um as a as a rule of thumb i just don't take them. like they'll try to prescribe them i'm like keep them i'm gonna suffer instead <laughs> i'll i'll pop the ibuprofen like i'll pop the anti-inflammatories but i won't not gonna hit the coating you know i'm not gonna hit the oxycodone just because i've seen what it does to other members of my family and i just like probably not something my genetic code can handle so I'm suffering in horrible pain because my teeth, you know, and the dentist really did a number on me. And it's like, you know, so much pain that I reached that I'm kind of hallucinatory experience. I like that, you know, and that that's what I'm dealing with. The pyramid of eyeballs and all the eyes are staring at me and stuff like that. And it's so Lovecraftian and weird. I'm like, that's where that guy sees that crap. <laughs> you know, no wonder why he was messed up. Imagine seeing that every night or something like that. That would be, I would, uh write some weird stuff too (laughs) yeah i mean if you look at um certain artists who suffered from different mental illnesses even or like the development of the mental illness you know like one day they're totally normal and painting like fruit in bowls and then like the progression through like paranoid schizophrenia or um any of the other vast numbers of mental illnesses are that are out there you see the progression of their mental deterioration over time through their artworks and if you can put them in consecutive order of when they painted them you can actually see it as an evolution and you can see how they sort of get twisted in a way. And like what you were talking about with the the pain from your wisdom teeth coming out and how 
it sent you into sort of like a trance state that is something that shamans or spiritual leaders in different tribes across the world would use as a method to actually get into a deep trance state. You know, it's deep within uh, Catholicism, especially doing the, the flogging and flogging and stuff to get the, to get messages or to humble themselves, to get into that state of total and complete being. Um, but I think in a way there is sort of a, like a moment when you have like, it's not just physical pain that can get you there. It's also mental and emotional pain. Although do I recommend using those methods to get there? No, because you're going to be batshit fucking crazy at the end and nobody's going to know what to do with you. Yep. And we can spin back around to those, um, the, the fruit words of Goetia and those original funeral howlers. Mm. What is the pain they putting themselves through the trans states they're reaching by mourning the dead. And like, you can see that root and that like, um, it's kind of bizarre, but the birth of magic for us and like comes from death, which is so apt. And so kind of poetically beautiful in a strange sort of way. And like, you know, if you think about magic's connection to death and the dead and like a lot of magic sometimes has like the Egyptians, for example, almost all their magic, the, it was about, Oh, what do you do when you're dead? (laughs) (laughs) what do we not only what do we do to your body when you're dead but where do you go when you're dead yeah and how do you yeah and (laughs) how do we respond to you and how do you respond to us but i i really kind of connected with the the funeral howlers because that is that is a practice that i have done in my own life on my own without actually being taught how to do it like at the very beginning how to like, I never even knew being a funeral howler was a thing. I would go to cemetery seeking out restless spirits to help them get through their grief and to get through their suffering and get through their pain and then have them fucking leave, you know, go to the other side. It's time you've been here too long. And then I lost somebody who was very, very close to me. My best friend of 20 years died from cervical cancer. And that was five years ago. And I have not done that practice since then because I had my own funeral hollering to do. And to realize that those people who die in such a horrific way or even people who have lost people in such a horrific way to feel that amount of pain that is directly connected to your own spirit is totally different than mourning a spirit that you didn't have any connection to at all. Yeah. There's a different sort of grounding that happens with either practice. And I think I'm actually ready to go back to that practice. Yeah. You know, it's something, yeah. Like I also like uh, some, somebody kind of told me, I think, uh, uh, Houston and mastering witchcraft is like the moment you start witchcraft, like a signal goes out, like, you know, and like, it's like posting your number up on the telephone pole all of a sudden before you know it. Like, you know, uh, I remember one of the first experiences that I had, like visionary experiences I had were um, uh, restless dead going up and down the street um, nights before the new moons. I didn't know what that meant. I would just I would feel it like I would feel it. And, you know, I'd sit there and try to go to sleep and I, I could feel the, the, the individuals going down the street. 
And then, like, it was uh, years later that I learned about Hakate and her retinue of Restless Dead on the night before the new moon. I, I had the experience before I knew what it even was. And, and, it, and it was like they were coming to me. It was like my phone number got posted up on a telephone pole. And it took me a while. To, like, I, it was kind of crappy because I had, like, nights before new moons was something I go back in my journals. I had trouble sleeping. I would have trouble going to bed. Um, and I didn't know why because I would be just bugged and bothered and it took me uh, a, a year or more until I kind of figured it out now not so bad but it's like I put my telephone number out there and didn't know I did it <laughs> didn't know I did it um but you know that's a big part of my practice too like I'm not uh your typical like ah oh, let's leave offerings for the gods all the time I I work a lot with the I not even trying but I end up finding the dead like the dead are a big part of what I do um I've been in parks uh, where I don't ever know how to really can like, cause there's such bizarre experiences, but sitting on a park bench and then feeling like someone's next to me and then being able to tell you their age, their, 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 their gender, their, their, um, why they're there. Well, why are they here? And I remember the old woman um, and I never really got to confirm the story. I, I couldn't find anything, but she was like, well, we used to have a house here and I'm not ready to go. I, I, you know, I like to watch the flowers bloom and I would sit, it was by work. And I would, I like, I became, it became compulsive weary. Like I would stop meetings. I was like, I got to go help a user. But like every day around lunch, I'd go out and I'd sit with her. It just felt like I needed to. And then one day she was like, I saw the flowers. And that was it. That was the last of the, and it is such a, like, I didn't even know why I was there. Like, I was just like, why, why is this happening to me? It's, I really thought I was going crazy for a moment. Like, am I really going crazy? Cause like, I don't see, like, I, I, I don't see anything there. Like I would say, Oh, I don't see anything with my physical eyes. And the moment I would say that I would see the air shimmer, like a, like, you know, like a, like a dust devil or a heat, you know, like, like a mirage. It was like every time I would say something like, I don't see that there. And then like, it's like, I don't fit then, then I would, <laughs> it's like a, um, reality, uh, like I said, she, she's a she's a mean mistress. Sometimes she'll make an ass of you real quick. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> the one thing I really like uh, working with the dead about is when they send me one of their living family members who is actively mourning their death, without me realizing that I have been in contact with that dead family member. Like for example, there was a gentleman in the grocery store close to my house, and I. He was an older guy, probably 80s, maybe. And I, I looked at him and I said, oh, I really like your hat. I didn't really like his hat. I didn't really have an opinion on it. I have no idea why I said it to him, but he stopped and he looked at me. And then he looked at me a little harder and he goes, wow, you look and sound just like my granddaughter who just died in a car crash a few months ago and she bought me this hat thank you for stopping me today in the store you gave me a really good you helped me remember her in a different way instead of losing her in that horrific way or something like that but it was almost like she saw me in the grocery store and steered me towards this particular aisle and was like i'm gonna use your mouth for a minute please yeah. don't mind yeah like as practitioners we've opened ourselves up to it and like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where people go, well, I'm, I'm thinking about getting the magic. Where do I start? And like, I used to be like, yeah, you do the, and now I'm kind of like, well, do you have to? 
<laughs> are you sure you want to you're like you know i'm like are you sure like i mean because it really should come like houston was right like the moment you start you you even think about it you know it's almost like boom um and especially i feel in an age that where we're missing the the shaman we're missing we we, we we've, we're missing them i feel like you know not 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 to um denigrate modern medical science i think it's wonderful right uh, i wouldn't be alive if it weren't for modern medical science uh, you know um and you know plenty of people i know are close to me wouldn't be alive if it weren't for modern medical science but we we, we were missing the shaman like you know or you know yeah i have a therapist but you know it'd be nice to actually have like um you know we used to be structured so differently um you know we live in these big cities we barely know our neighbors stuff like that used to be you lived in a small village usually or in a tight knit neighborhood and you did have that, that soothsayer, that, that wise man or that wise woman. And you went to them. They knew the advice to give you. They knew how to hand the cunning folk person that knew how to handle the dead. They, they, they knew. And then like, you know, over time, like what the, uh, the church system kind of tried to replace that with its priests. Um, you know, prior to that, even in the pagan era, you know, there's the priests and they had their authority, uh, those type of things. Like, it, it's like, w- w- um, we need that shaman back though. And I think, uh, hopefully we reach an age where we realize the importance of that. Cause I- I'm very, I'm a hybrid person. Like I'm thinking, well, the technology is kind of a problem because cell phones kill our attention span. Social media is toxic to us, but at the same time, you know, it's like, it's good for us. But at the same time, we need to go back sometimes to the ancient ways. Like people should be growing herbs, not grass, right? They should oh, be growing yeah. herbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, you're, I, you're, you know, we're all seeing it, I think. I'm oh, sorry, Caitlin, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say your your grass lawn is completely fucking useless. And yeah. it was a, <laughs> uh, a symbol of wealth back in medieval times. If you had property that you had nothing else to grow on but grass, that meant you had, uh, A, enough property to grow enough vegetables to feed whoever it was that was in your house. And B, you had nothing else to put on that land it's a symbol of wealth and most people don't right. have wealth. They need that land to grow food, but we don't know how to grow food because that's been taken from us by grocery stores. But anyway, that's my tiny little rant. Oh, well, yeah. I was just going to say, I was going to throw in there that the, we can see the benefit of having all those things combined still, because there, I mean, scientific studies have come out or talked about the, the, uh, beneficial effects of having a spiritual practitioner of a lot of different traditions is in a hospital setting. And I've witnessed firsthand with a lot of my clients, I'm like the combination of a shamanic practice with therapy is like amazing. I mean, uh, there's, there's hardly anything that beats that if you're going to, if that's the path you're going to go down to combine those two things is a, a really powerful punch. And that's, that's bringing the ancient and the modern together as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I feel it's um it it's like imperative if we want to get healthier. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Like it's 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 imperative if we want to get healthier. I mean it's it's something genuinely like uh I don't know, I kind of lament because you know, I I could see uh, there's a lot of cases sometimes where I'm sitting there's like how much better things would have turned out to me for me if I would have had that person to go to. You know, like that person who could tell me what this dream is all about. Right. Um, who who could, uh, you know, or knew what to do. And then there's uh, I mean, um, my children, for example, are special needs. We have some problems. We found that passion flower. Passion flower is an amazing herb for some of their anxiety issues and digestive issues. We were we were and I'm like, we, we've we've ran a gambit of allopathic prescribed medicines that have almost 
a vast majority of them have ended in disaster. Like my son, for example, we've pretty practically taken him off everything. And he's actually turned, he's actually having an easier time with everything now because he isn't so full of messed up chemicals that, you know, he's still young too. He's seven. Um, and the poor kid was put on many different type of mood stabilizers and stuff when he was four because the school didn't want to handle his autism. That's what they didn't want. They didn't want, so they were like, you need to get him on medication so he can come back and ended up not working out with the school anyways. And we had to go with a specialty place. And then I was just like, one day I just got fed up because they would take him off one thing. So he's withdrawing on one thing. And he's like, oh, well, he needs this thing now. But I'm, and then I finally realized it's like, you're trying to give me stuff that's causing symptoms. And then because it causes symptoms, we put him on something else. And then we're taking him off something. And <laughs> it turns out if I just um, grow some St. John's wort and give the kids some passion flower, he's fine. For the most part, right? Like, and I'm not <laughs> telling people not to take meds, but I was like, it turned out that, and like we, I do, um, I'm surprised you guys didn't ask the question. Um, a lot of people, every time I do a podcast, everybody says, what's it like to have a magical practice in children around? No. The same? I don't because... need to ask that question. <laughs> two, two of us already have. That yeah. like, it's such a, Caitlin, it's... yours is like, your stepson's like almost adult now. Is that where we're going to throw that at? Yeah. I mean, he's going to be 18 in November. So, but so, I showed up in his mm-hmm. life at 11. That, right that's about so, like, my we've, we've all with, dealt like, with this so yeah like, got kids young people like the younger people on podcasts and people who don't have kids always ask me like it changes something inherently like ah, i just don't summon demons in the house i don't <laughs> <laughs> look we got a room for that and the kids know that when the, right? the horn is on the door they don't come in yeah that kind of deal right but i do do some magic like um things that i recommend too is like uh i found with him digging in dirt to ground himself worked really well yeah, he's super anxious right now, and we would go out and dig and play with mud with intention, essentially <laughs> something that Aiden Walker called serious play. And I took it right out of his book and I was like, serious play. I got this right. And it's just he was having, you know, he was trying to fight the world one day. And I'm like, all right, buddy, come on, let's go. And then, like, we started digging and making mud and we would make mud figures like men of mud and shapes and stuff. And I got it that was like a ended up being a really beneficial magical practice for me. And it was like, it was inspired a little bit by Aiden Walker, but mostly by my son because it was done That's for awesome. it to calm him down. And I would start digging with him with this intention that, Hey, we're going to ground ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You're really hot right now and you're burning yourself up. So let's give that. Cause like you, we could douse it. Right. But what happens when you douse a fire it becomes melancholy. It's gone. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to do that necessarily. Cause sometimes you're righteous anger. Like you need to feel this, right. But let's feed it. Let's feed it slowly. Let's, let's, let's get with the earth, right. And ground you. Right. And sure enough, like it was like, it was like a switch. And like, it's unfortunate sometimes cause I don't have like, you know, if he's flipping out and there's a lot going on we can't go dig in the mud and it right. sucks. Cause sometimes he'll want to do it. He'll, he'll, he'll come to me. He's like, I'm feeling bad. Let's you know, I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> you know? And like sometimes, <laughs> I mean, you could, totally jack sparrow it and just get him a jar of dirt for when you guys are out (laughs) you know that's a good idea i've considered that it's like selling other people on why do you have a jar of dirt like don't ask questions all right we're doing what about like placing the like the uh the sand that you can form form? oh yeah 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 the um Yeah. yeah, that just ends up in my carpet, though. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. no say, that's that's a parent's good. answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's like the fair. jar of dirt, you could even put magic into it with the intention of, like, this will help him ground. Yeah. Uh, we have a rock for that right now. Nice. 
Yeah, the rock. And then that, that was something I taught with my daughter. We would, I built a relationship with the, like, cause I'm kind of animist too. Mm-hmm. I've never been good at the, um, I do some like Orphic hymns cause I think they slap. Like, I like the Orphic hymns, but I've never been, um, <laughs> too much of a like pagan God person. Like, I, I always felt a little like everybody's like, I'm making offerings to, you know, this God and that God. And I'm like, I, I say a hymn on occasion. I'm not very good at that stuff, but you asked me to talk about my favorite tree down at the park. I'll tell you about Grumpy Grandpa all day. Yeah. <laughs> cause I know that tree, right? Like that tree has a person or, or, um, the crick. The creek I always go to, that body of water. I've left so many offerings there to build a relationship with it that we kind of have a deal. Like we go down to the park sometimes, um, when when particularly my daughter, this works with my daughter the best. Um, but we throw rocks in the creek. But yeah. the thing is, is you grab the rock, you put all your anxiety and pain in the rock. You can just think about it flowing to the rock, and then you throw it into the creek to wash away. And you say thank you afterwards. And then all of a sudden, what, it, what does that become for that kid all of a sudden? We're throwing rocks in the creek and it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's see how far it can throw it. And, and then all that pain and anxiety and stuff starts to wash away. And now what is what that can be an hour meltdown for her. Or it can be a kind of antsy walk to the park for 10 minutes. And then we're throwing rocks in the creek for an hour. And right we come back and all day she's and to me it's like you know people go is this psychology or i don't care it works like right Right, i see it work i see it work on others like i'm not sure if they know they're doing magic either applied animism yeah yeah applied animism and to me it's like you know you think the things like we we i work with the kids on being thankful towards things like you yeah you know having a gratitude practice yeah Yeah. gratitude and it's like it's it's Sometimes it weirds people out. I think sometimes like gratitude practice too, but I like, I just do it. I do it at jujitsu. I like nobody at jujitsu knows I'm a spooky person, but I have to take my glasses off before I roll on the mats. It's going under Helio. They have a big old picture of Helio Gracie, the guy who started Brazilian jujitsu. Right. And I always put my glasses up there and say, Hey, can you watch them? Thank you. <laughs> when I get awesome. a chance to well, do that, I have good roles. I, I have good roles. Cause and that's a, what is that? But ancestor, I'm a part of a lineage of a martial art yep. started by the man. Yep, I'm exactly. Meeting, and I'm, you know, I'm giving you my eyes for the moment. Right. And I'm and I'm trusting you and I'm seeking your guidance when I do this. And like the, the, those little and saying thank you when I get my glasses back off of it, I say thank you. Like I, I don't say it loudly is every like, oh, thank you. You know, like <laughs> and I makes find total that, sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that gratitude practice. Just like people make a big deal about magic sometimes. I got to get a nine foot circle and a lion skin belt, and I got to summon Maimon and sell my soul in order to get some money. I was like, have you thought about thanking your dollars before you spent them? Yes. <laughs> Actually, that's funny you mentioned that. We literally, um, there's a altar back here with some cowrie shells and some pennies. And that is our money vatir, our money spirit shrine. And everybody in the family prays at it. You know, it's that's not a question. It's like it's an active component of our lives, you know. And whether it's the plastic card or whether it's the dollar bills or the pennies or the whatever, you know, um, there's that gratitude relationship of thank you for being the medium of exchange. Yeah. Thank you for allowing us to live this life. Thank you for the. Our, our prayer is. Uh, our, we have a lot of rope prayers we work with because. We raised both of these kids as heathens, and it just it works. So, like one of our rope prayers is, uh, "Thank you, Money Vatier, for our wealth." 
boom, you know, and it really, when I started doing the work, it really changed my relationship to money because I was dirt fucking poor. I mean, Jim, you remember what I was like, my relationship with money sucked before I started a relationship with the money spirits. And it, it really revolutionizes everything. When you stop treating money as an enemy, when you stop treating money as this adversary to be overcome that you lust after. Yes. And when it, you start the, partnering with it. Yeah. It's a difference between lusting. Like I, 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 I attribute it almost to like love problems, right? Like if you're lusting and oh, desiring absolutely. after someone like a creeper, they're not going to like you. <laughs> but when you're grateful that they're there, that changes the dynamic of the relationship immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, you, it's like, um, I haven't been on a, I'm married. I haven't been on a date in 10 years, <laughs> you know? Um, but like, you know, I, I realized that like, um, as a young man having trouble with, uh, you know, meeting girls and stuff, I like one of the things I learned, like just kind of intuitively was not to lust and chase after girls. Like I always hated the term chasing chasing like i didn't like no i don't know because when i immediately turn that off like people do you gotta chase you gotta chase like i turned that off and i was like i'm just gonna be grateful for company right and the moment that like it was like night and day like the people wanted to be near me that changed the, the dynamic because oh he's grateful that you're around like and i mean it wasn't like just finding like a girlfriend or meeting my wife that 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 really but it changed my entire relationship with people you know, I'm grateful that you're here. Like that makes people want to be with you. And then like you apply that to magic or animism. You realize that like, um, I screwed up this year with my garden. <laughs> my garden has just gone terrible, but I rushed through it. I wasn't grateful. I'm realizing that right now at this moment. So thank you for this epiphany, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but I, did, I didn't show the gratitude that I showed the other year, the last year. I barely worked on it and it exploded with food. I had more tomatoes than I know what to do with. I had peppers. I still have some of the peppers I grew last year. I had so many cayenne peppers. I didn't know what to do with this year. I wasn't grateful. I was rushed. I was kind of aggravated with it all. I wasn't grateful. And then things didn't turn out so great. I actually have to point out this momentous moment because usually one of the three of us throws our our guests under the bus, but this time our guest threw themselves under the bus. Yep. Yeah, it's a new record. How about that? Wow. <laughs> well, as much as I hate to say it, we should probably wrap up this conversation. Although I've been having a lot of fun, this has been really great. Go ahead, plug Ola. Give give us your YouTube and and promote yourself a little here. Um, uh, I'm Gaia Sorcery on YouTube and on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm taking like I don't I don't lust after it as much anymore as I used to. I just kind of like, if you're interested in it, I don't update it as often as I should, but that's because if I'm putting out content, I want to like that content. I'm not going right. to put out content just to get views. I, I'm going to, so if you're going there, like understand that I, I, um, I'm still getting better at it. I'm not good, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like I'm there. Um, I do update eventually. Um, you feel free to interact with me. I'm not terribly mean. <laughs> i'm really selling myself here i'm not a, I'm, yeah <laughs> i mean you kind of fit in with the rest of us we're all like right. eh, you know yeah you, you know. this thing and with this stuff sometimes so yeah. well thank you so much for joining us tonight i really appreciate it this has been a great conversation i love all the ground that we've covered and so uh we're gonna have to have you back i think so okay awesome it was it was great i love being here i really much appreciate it 
Awesome. Glad to have you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate, as always, all your support. We love your interactions on our Discord. We love interacting with you on Facebook. It's just we owe so much to our community, and we're we're so grateful for all of you for supporting us, for listening to us. And um, with that, we'll see you next time around the fire. 